Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. He So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. the bases loaded swung on a ground ball to the hole to his left and it gets away from madrigal and rolls into right field one run is in two runs are going to score and the a's take a two nothing lead oh, here's simeon fly to right a's lead two nothing marcus it's a deep drive in the center robert going back to the track you'll turn and watch it fly and the a's have doubled their lead on a center field home run by simeon and it's 4-0 A's in the second. Got a switch hitter batting left, and a changeup lifts to left center field in the gap. On the run back is Cannon to the wall. Jumps at the wall. He's got it. A Joe Rudy-type catch against the wall. Trying to double off the trailing runner, Anderson. He just gets back in time. What a play by Mark Canna, scaling the padding in left center field. A play that would make Joe Rudy smile. 2-2 pitch driven to left. A play for Garcia. He's going to take a look at it. Will go! Chris Davis bombs one on Keuchel. And he points toward the A's fans out at center field. It's 5-0 Oakland. Deakman turns, delivers, and Abreu hits a one-hopper to second. Orff has it. Turns, throws to first for the out. It wasn't easy. <laughs> it wasn't even close to easy in the ninth <laughs> inning. But the A's have forced the game three. Here's Chris Townsend. Of course it's not going to be easy. There's no chance it was going to be easy. Have you been watching the rest of the league? Have you been watching the playoffs? It's not going to be easy. There's nothing easy about the playoffs. And there's not, there's not going to be anything easy about getting rid of a bad streak. Ask the Indians. Ask the Twins how easy it is to get rid of a bad streak. As they both go down yesterday, two games and out. Indians are out the number four seed, and the Twins are out, the number three seed. 
The American League is done except this. The Rays took care of the Blue Jays. It's now down to the A's and the White Sox. One game, winner moves on, loser goes home. As the great Ken Korak likes to say, it's who's making their tea times after this. Hopefully, it's not the Oakland Athletics. We got a treat for you today. Coming up here at 8.30, Chris Bassett, the winner of yesterday's game, the guy who is the AL Pitcher of the Month, who is, can I just say it now? He's your best pitcher. He's your ace. I don't know if Chris Bassett has the resume yet to call him an ace, but I'll do it now. I'll play that game. He is your best pitcher. There is no question. And if the A's can win today, I want him on the mound. Game one in Los Angeles against the Astros in the ALDS. He is going to join us coming up here at 8.30. Bip Roberts. From NBC Sports California, the kid from Oakland, the former All-Star, will be here at 9 o'clock. Then we have another special for you. Yesterday, you got Ken Hawk Harrelson, the Ford C. Frick Award winner, the legend, the former Kansas City athletic, but legendary broadcast voice and television of the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Did you hear Vinny say, it's like Joe Rudy. Joe Rudy is going to join us today with Ray Fossey at 9.30. If you thought yesterday was awesome, today could be even better. David Force, the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, will be here at 10 a.m. I got to think, by the time we hit 10 a.m., we're going to know who's going to be on the bump today. I got to think we're going to know. And we'll ask David about the process and why. I mean, it's either going to be Manai or Fires. Are you going to go with the guy that we think they want to go with? But we know the White Sox are 15-0 and against left-handed starting pitching this year. They feasted on it. Or are you going to go with Mike Fires, the right-hander, the veteran? Which way are you going to go? Hopefully, we will know that by the time David Force shows up at 10 a.m. And then we'll have Jesse Rogers from ESPN to break down not only this game, but we got all the National League games and we have what's transpired in the American League. Watching last night, the Indians game, as Brad Hand gave it up to the New York Yankees, which the Yankees proved. There's no doubt in the inning that they came back, what contact means in the playoffs. They hit a bunch of balls that weren't hard. And they mounted an epic comeback. And then did you see what the Yankees did in the eighth inning? I wish I could have my postgame show back from yesterday where people are like, I can't believe what Bob Melvin did. Bringing Liam Hendricks in in the eighth. Really? Folks, start watching postseason baseball. The Rays are bringing their closer in in the seventh inning. High leverage inning. Runners on. I got to bring in my best arm and get out of it. What happened yesterday in the Yankee game? Aroldis Chapman came in in the eighth inning. Nobody out and two on. Liam Hendricks came in. Nobody out, one on. 
Not one person was questioning Aaron Boone in the postgame show. Literally, we had A's fans flipping out, going, oh, my God, I cannot believe they did that. You would think our fan base would understand the trends in baseball. But we didn't use Liam like that throughout the year. We still kind of have an old school mentality with our closer. Got to bring him in in the ninth inning. Maybe to get one out in the eighth. That's not how baseball's working these days. And I'll bring in Commander Cody. You and I were both watching it. Aaron Boone did the exact same thing Bob Melvin did yesterday, bringing in Chapman, but he brought him in a worst scenario. Two runners on, nobody out in the eighth inning. Chapman gets out of it, and then he pitches the ninth, and it's ball game over. And nobody questioned Aaron Boone in the postgame show. I listened to him. They showed it on, uh, is that ESPN we were watching it on? Yeah, it was on ESPN last night with uh, Matt Veskersen and A-Rod calling their second game of the day, which is just incredible. They called that. A-Rod, by the way, A-Rod, I'm over A-Rod. A-Rod should not be calling the Yankee games. A-Rod so wants to be a Yankee, (laughs) right? He is such a Yankee homer, like, Yankee fans don't feel he's a Yankee. They're never going to – like, he wants that home so bad, he's never going to get it. But he clearly is a Yankee guy. It's it, it's not they, – they should not have him on Yankee games. It, it sounds bad. Yeah. I, can see right, I, I can see right through that from a mile away. But, but the point here is what happened in that game is the exact same thing that happened in our game. But yet, Aaron Boone is not getting the questions. Well, I, 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 you know what? Bob wasn't getting major questions after the game. I just know our fan base, how they reach out to us is, oh, my God, thank God they did. They, they got out of that because if they didn't, Bob would have been this and Bob would have been that. And you're like, are you guys not following baseball? You're not following what the Rays do, the Yankees do. This is what everybody does. Yeah, and Chapman, I went back and looked, and Chapman last year, uh, do you know how many games he came in and got more than three outs? In 162? Yeah. No, I don't. Uh, none. That would be, the answer would be zero. He had zero games where he came in and got more than three outs. So in the postseason, it's completely different. You bring your best relievers in for high leverage situations. You mentioned it. Nick Anderson from the Rays, who have now had 13 different guys after uh, Pete Fairbanks got a save in game one against the Blue Jays. Oh? Yeah. Well, you don't know most of the Rays relievers anyway. They just they all look the same and throw 98 to 100. But, you know, they brought Nick Anderson in for a high leverage situation in the seventh inning. And Kevin Cash has done that several times with him. He's their best reliever. You put your best reliever in the best spot or the most crucial spots for you. It, I, I've always under, been under the notion, I don't know how other people feel about this, but I feel like you can always, you know, have someone try to close out a game, but if you have a guy that can come in and pitch high leverage situations like Liam can and the role as Chapman and Nick Anderson does for the Rays, you're at a higher chance of winning a game. Like Brett Anderson or Brett Anderson, Brett Hand, Brad Hand struggled yesterday in that, that ninth inning against the Yankees. The Yankees just took him apart, although I didn't I disagree with A Rod every time he came up. It came up for the first time it was Brett Gardner came up. 
Bases loaded. This is a guy, right guy, right situation you want in this spot. Then Gary Sanchez came up. This is the right guy for this situation, right guy for this spot. It's So he kept saying that, but it, it, that, that was the things that were annoying me. But you're right about the A-Rod wanting the Yankees to win so bad and just being on Yankees broadcast. Well, uh, he's he 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 is he is nothing but a cliche machine. I, I I don't understand. I mean, Sunday night baseball usually I have the sound down, so you know, with the family, it's in the background. It's just I I I don't get him. I I really I mean, obviously I don't like him from the get go, but like really just watching last night's game. It's just he he really doesn't offer anything. And that's the problem. They just want big names. It's like when they have Big Poppy on the Fox pre and post game show, he doesn't offer anything. But I just I just want to give you go go through the top of the ninth inning of this game where the Yankees would come back and win ten to nine. And there really wasn't a hard hit ball. So John Carlo, you want to call him Mike Stanton walks. Urshela gets a slider that was down. He just goes down and puts the barrel on the ball and hits it back up the middle. But it wasn't that hard hit. Then you have Torres reach on an infield single that was basically a chopper back to Brad Hand that he didn't field correctly. Uh, And then, as you mentioned, Brett Gardner comes up. Uh, What did A-Rod say again? Right guy, right spot. And he strikes out. And then the Sanchino sacrifice fly to center. Uh, LeMayhew with a single into center wasn't that hard hit. And there you go. Bang, bang. They got they got a couple runs, and now they're up 10 to 9. But they put the ball in play. That was the big key, watching that inning. And that would be the one thing that A-Rod said correctly, was that you put the ball in play, things happen. Look at the A's yesterday, how they finally scored. I thought that was a tough error. But Matt Olson actually didn't strike out, hit the ball hard, hits off the back lip, which Ken Korak and Ray Fossey had. Great call. And end up being a tough play. And the ball ends up going into right field off the second baseman. They call it an error. I you could have given it, it could have gone either way, but put the ball in play. Put pressure on the defense. Make them make plays. Stop striking out. And the A's actually made some really good contact yesterday. Marcus Simeon goes deep. My God, if Chris Davis is going to hit a home run, you better win the game. Right? If Chris Davis can start being Chris Davis again, you better win the game. Yesterday ended up being glorious. Celebrate from anywhere. Catch up from anywhere. I don't know. Is that me or you? Oh, that's you. It's ESPN. It's, it's, that's, they're getting back at you for the A-Rod comments. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, MLB.com doesn't do that. CBS, all the, for some reason, if you stay on a a website on ESPN long enough, they will get their ads in. And normally these websites, they have a muted and then you have to unmute. Uh, I just unbelievable, but 
I think about yesterday's game and bring in Liam Hendricks and people are flipping out. I'm like, watch what everybody else is doing. This is what you do. By the way, can you imagine in the 70s? And I know Ray Fossey, you're listening. Get ready, Ray. I'm going to ask you this at 930. Can you imagine the A's fan base flipping out in the 70s when Raleigh Fingers comes in in the 7th? Now, they did that throughout the year. You know, the old school guys, those those were men. Raleigh Fingers would come in and he'd go three innings. Now we flip out about it. And, you know, how many people in the postgame show yesterday, the clubhouse show brought to you by Budweiser, said, is he going to be available for today? Yes, he's available for uh, for today. Liam Hendricks has told us multiple times on this program he can pitch every single day. Problem was, he wasn't sharp yesterday. He didn't have his best stuff. But Liam Hendricks, yes, he's a bull. He can go 50 pitches and then pitch the next day. All hands on deck. I want you to think about this. If he couldn't go today, how would you feel? He's got months to recoup. He's got all of October, all of November, December, January, February, and we don't even know what spring training is going to look like. He's not a soft little butterfly. That's not who Liam Hendricks is. He's not soft physically, and he's not soft mentally. Bob Melvin said it in the postgame show. He's going to be ready to go. Stop treating him like a modern-day millennial reliever. Oh, I threw 40. What was it, 49? How many did he throw? 49, yeah. 49 pitches. He's fine. There is no tomorrow. He's not going to be sore. And here's the other thing you got to remember. Stop acting like this is a regular October where these guys have had 162 games and it's been an absolute grind. Stop. They're two months into a season. They're peaking right now. Did you watch Chris Bassett yesterday? Did you watch Giolito in game one? These guys are approaching mid-season form. We don't have to baby these guys. They haven't gone through the grueling dog days of summer. They haven't had to do that. Liam Hendricks should be fine. I guarantee you, if we brought Liam on today, he'd say he's fine. Deekman, ready to go. Everybody, there shouldn't be anybody other than the name Chris Bassett who isn't ready to go today. All hands on deck. I don't know who they're going to start. Whoever they start, let's say it's fires. Then Manaya and Montas should be ready to rock early. If it's fires, then Manaya and Montas should be ready. They got to be ready to get up, get heated, and get ready to go. There will be a quick hook today if somebody is not dealing. Now, ideally, 
as Commander has kept. If you want to bring the stats up right now, Cody, what what's the A's record if the A starter goes five? What's the record if they go six? So after Chris Bassett went seven plus innings yesterday, well seven and gave up one earned run, the A's when their pitches go at least five innings are thirty-one and ten. When they go at least six, they're twenty-one and one. And I went back and even did another one. When they go at least seven, I believe it's nine and zero oh when their pitches go at least uh, seven innings. I mean, you're almost speaking like alien technology at this point. If you're asking a about seven innings. That's like from outer space, seven innings in the postseason. Now, we, we saw yesterday. A flinching game, by the way. Yeah, and but we saw yesterday that sometimes that, that you know, that number could be inflated or, you know, not help you because we saw Trevor Bauer go seven and two-thirds, strike out 12, give up no runs. And, well, the Reds couldn't score a run. So, uh, they came in. They came Even in the, in the Braves. Yeah. So, that, most strikeouts so ever way, in a game. <laughs> whenever I hear the, well, hey, listen, you started this guy, he gave up runs, but if your offense doesn't score, well, you got to match zeros. We saw that in the very first game between the Astros and the Twins. It was 1-1 in the ninth. And the same thing with the uh, that game yesterday. Most strikeouts in the history of a postseason game. So we had two... God, I don't remember. Did they did they finish off the record for walks in the game with the Yankees and the Indians, or did they tie it? So, thirty-seven strikeouts in the Braves Reds game. That was the most ever. The lot. The record was thirty-four by the Giants and Nationals in twenty seventeen, and then the record for most walks in a postseason game was nineteen, and the Indians and Yankees tied it last night. The Indians pitchers walked twelve batters in that game. Oh, it was it was gross. Both oh, by the way, both games called by Matt Vasgersian. And Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> Talk about a grind of a day. So it's their fault. <laughs> but this is my Mayrod. So you've seen in games that there are going to be times your offense doesn't hit. You know what that means? You got to put up zeros. You can't get down early. This has been the Achilles heel. And I know the Achilles is a tendon. And whenever you say that, people go, it's not a. I, I get it. It, it. It's an expression. The Achilles heel of the A's has been their pitching gives up runs early, and then you're playing chase the rest of the game. Don't do that. Go the theory of yesterday. You get up early. The great Ken Hawk Harrelson, before he had his Smirnoff and uh, tonic, said to us yesterday, now, he threw out a number. We don't know exactly what this number is, but, hey, he's a Ford C. Frick Award winner. 65% of the time you score first, you win. It's pretty simple. I'd rather score first than not. They didn't score first in New York against the Yankees in the wild card game. They didn't score first last year against the Rays. Uh, leadoff home run would keep you from doing that. And they didn't score first in game one. 0-3. Oh, Who scored first yesterday, Cody? That'd be the Oakland Athletics scored first yesterday. And who won the game? Uh, as, as Ken Clark would say, the A's! So, I don't know. I'm looking at simple uh, percentages here. You score first, 
you have a good chance of winning. And that's why who you start is so important. Don't give me this BS about, oh, well, Jesus Lazard. He came out and gave it up, and then they lost. Manaya gave it up. Four, four runs in two innings in the wild card game against Tampa, and you lost. You went relievers in the series against the in the wild card game, not even the series, the wild card game against the Yankees, and you lost. You need to come out and put up zeros, and you need to score early. Put the pressure on them. You know, I don't, I, I don't know if I buy they've got nothing to lose and the pressure should be on the A's. I'm just hoping that, you know, you finally escape the five elimination games straight you'd lost. I mean, I just I'm do we have the Bassett cut? I do have it, yes. Can we play that? Let's play that before we before we bring on Chris. Uh he said this yesterday in the postgame show, and I thought this uh I thought this spoke volumes. I think relieved, if anything. I mean, we knew the numbers. I mean, we knew we knew the numbers. I feel like the monkey's off our back a little bit, and now it's just play baseball from here on out. Um, relieved. If, it, I mean, excited, obviously, but relieved, if anything. You know what that tells you? They know. You think that only we know? We know the numbers. We know it's not been good in the postseason. Chris Bassett just told you right there after the game, they know exactly what's been going on. And hopefully gripping it, being tight. Hopefully that's all gone. You've now you've now gotten over that hump. Now just go out and keep winning games. It's 13 to the ring, one down, 12 to go. Coming up next, the guy who won the game yesterday for the athletic for the athletics, Chris Bassett will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. You betcha. There's only one place to show up for A's baseball. That's it. They want to talk about LeBron James in the NBA Finals. You want to talk about COVID-19 in the NFL and... A game has been canceled already. When we break that two days ago, we didn't break it, but two days ago we talked about how shutting down facilities, you know, a game being canceled. Yeah, they can't play doubleheaders in the NFL. Uh, What are you talking about? I was looking forward to Tuesday night football potentially between Titans, Titans and Steelers, Tuesday night football. You know, this made me think. So what is today? Uh, today is Thursday, October 1st. We're in October. Oh, my God. I think I forgot to put my trash cans out. <laughs> oh, that's going to be bad. What time What time's the trash come? Uh, Would have already come. I, I, it's, it's almost like I need to break and go check right now. Chris Bassett's showing up, right? Yeah, he's supposed to be calling to us, so. I'll give him a minute or two, then I'll reach out and make sure he's still calling. 
Uh, yeah, that's that is the, actually the big uh, story is what's going to happen with uh, who's going to pitch today. Who are you going with, Cody? I mean, I broke it down on – I did both. I broke down Fires and Minaya and what their numbers are against the the White Sox. Uh, Sean Minaya's only made one career start versus the White Sox. And a win. He has a 1.29 ERA. He went seven innings against the White Sox his last start. In 2018, though, remind you. Mike Fires last year, though, two uh, two starts against the White Sox. He was 2-0, gave up zero runs. And his career, he's 4-0. Well, the one five eight ERA, forty four strikeouts, and two home runs allowed in fifty one in the third innings against the Pelhos. Remember, the White Sox are now twenty one and twenty six versus right handed starters. Uh, and I broke down some of their hitters. Jose Abreu is hitting one fifty in his career versus Mike Fires with one RBI. Tim Anderson owns well, he owns everyone, but he's hitting four sixty two. Uh, he's six for thirteen in his career versus Mike Fires. Yasmani Grandal is only two for six, so he hasn't seen him a lot. Noah Mazzara, the former Ranger, now White Sox, is hitting 207, but he does have a home run. And Edwin Encarnacion is hitting 107, but he does have two home runs in his career versus Mark, Mike Fire. So there's the White Sox breakdown because some of their other guys, like uh, Luis uh, Robert, not Robert, as you might call him. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, fr- the French Cuban that you called him, yeah. uh, if, I, if I believe correctly. That was still probably one of my um, worst things I ever did because I just assumed that it, it would have been pronounced differently because he's from Cuba, but our, but uh, I was wrong. It, so Luis Robert never faced Mike Fires. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is only I think one for six, so he has a small sample size for some. Nick Madrigal hasn't faced him because he's a rookie, and like some of the other guys, I didn't even look up Adam Angle. Madrigal, by the way, that, that kid's tough. He's a. I remember last year we had uh, Dale Murphy on. A uh, friend of the program, when he bro- wrote the article about how Madrigal is the like next wave of players in baseball, he makes contact and he doesn't strike out. The guys like him and Tommy Lestell are the guys you want to build your team around. Is what he was saying. Well, you you hate those kind of guys because you 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 like home runs and strikeouts. Yeah, I, I don't hate Madrigal wow. though. I think could be here for power in the uh, in the minor leagues. I mean, not like you know huge power, but he had some power in the minor leagues. Where I don't even think he had a home run this year, but he's still a solid player. He hits for average. He, he'll be, he's going to turn into a solid defender. And he's a Northern California guy, so you can't kind of can't root against him. You can in this series, but I mean, it's hard yeah, to we win. can root against yeah. him. There's no question. And who are they going with? It hasn't been announced yet, but um, some people think it's gonna be Dane Dunning, a rookie that they rookie. have a rookie uh, this year. Dane Dunning is two and zero with a three nine seven ERA, thirty four strike, thirty five strikeouts in thirty four innings. Another theory I saw was to go with the opener. And they have Garrett Crochet, who, if you remember who Garrett Crochet is, the 11th pick in the draft in, wait for it, 2020 when we covered the draft. Uh, so he didn't even pitch in the uh, minors because there's a minor league season. He just had some workouts at their alternate uh, their alternate site. And he's already pitching in the major leagues and in the postseason. So and I he just, throws like over 100 miles an hour. Yeah, I think he had a pitch clocked at 102, and he's a lefty. So he uh they, they can go that route too if they want. I mean they have some options but the re- the rotation I, after I, I think I think Cease is still in play too. Yeah. I know I, he threw yesterday but I think he's in play. I think he you know cuz he started what 12 games for them this year. Yeah, he I I, I, I could see them going a total tandem start. I I don't see one guy going out for the White Sox today and them trying to go long with the guy. Yeah, and Dylan Cease if I'm not mistaken was the 
the big piece in the trade that the uh, White Sox did with the Cubs and they sent um, Jose Quintana from the from the White Sox to the Cubs. So Cease was the big guy coming back in that deal that they got. So they they like him a lot. But if you go behind, after you go behind Giolito and Keuchel, the the White Sox staff is eh, kind of unproven still. So you you gotta hopefully for them they throw Dane Dunning who does, is a small, has a small sample size. I mean I think he was pitching like Double A this year, and he got called up to pitch in the majors. And uh, so he he's been pretty solid. But you're hoping you get a rookie because I mean we saw Hayes Lazardo as a uh, he's not a rookie but he's still a younger pitcher pitch so. Hopefully we see Dunning, but I wouldn't be surprised if Crochet starts the game, which would be cool to see a guy that got drafted through what three months ago pitching in a, in a post starting a postseason game uh, already. According to my Nationals expert, the professor Matt Pearl, Dunning is another Nationals prospect that could be pitching in this series. Wow! Nationals all over the place. What? What's Giolito, Lazardo. Let me see if Dane Dunning was in that trade. He, oh, wow. Dane Dunning was in the trade that also included Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito when they got Adam Eaton from the White Sox. So thank you, uh, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams, for acquiring those three guys and giving up Adam Eaton to the, the Nationals. Now, they won the World Series last year. Good for them. But you gave up three guys that are playing a big role for the White Sox in the rotation right now. Rizzo, how much talent are you giving up to everybody else? Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Those guys. Kenny Williams, by the way, longtime friend of the program, uh, used to travel to Oakland, you know, because he's from Oakland. He went to Stanford, played football and baseball at Stanford. And he would come out with the White Sox because he would come home to see his family. Friend of the program, Kenny Williams. Yeah, they they made some uh, they made some good moves built, rebuilding this White Sox team. Getting Nomar Mazar was a nice trade from the Rangers because the Rangers were uh, I guess they're kind of over him. He's still so young. I think he's only 25, 26. But yeah, Mike Rizzo has given up some uh, some so a lot of uh, pitching prospects in the last couple of years to try to help build that that national team. They did win the World Series last year, but uh, he did find Juan Soto, so that's a. Yeah, I guess we can give him a, maybe a pass on some of these guys because they were able to find Juan Soto. Well, I mean, and, and and give him credit for Harper, Strasburg. I mean, you 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 draft number one doesn't mean it's always going to hit. And obviously, those guys have hit. By the way, happy birthday, happy seventy fifth birthday to friend of the program, Rod Carew is seventy five today. I was just looking at a tweet from when we had him on earlier, but before the season started, to talk about his book and everything. Uh, that was a really good interview with him. Um, glad we were able to do that, but yeah, uh, 75, I, I would have thought he would have been older, but I mean, 75 and 75 is still young. So credit to him. All right. You want to talk about the difference between these two franchises? Here's the difference. The A's, this is time, you know, you exercised a demon yesterday. Do the same thing today. The A's have lost nine straight winner take all games dating back to game five of the ALDS in 2000 against the Yankees. This is the longest streak in MLB history. For the White Sox, this is hard to believe. They are playing their first winner-take-all postseason game in franchise history. Well, Do you believe that? 
Well, for a team that's only made the playoffs 10 times in their franchise history since 1901, uh, that is is a little concerning. I mean, that is really, really hard to believe. Do we have Chris Bassett? Chris, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Sorry for being late. No, I mean, you kidding me? I mean, what you guys are going through every day just to get to the ballpark? I mean, it's pretty crazy how early you got to get there and all the testing. So uh, no problem whatsoever. How How's life treating you? Good. Uh, glad to be here this morning. You know, I think about where you've come from and where you are right now. I mean, you're very blessed. And, 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 and to see the way you've commanded the baseball – especially the last month being the American league pitcher of the month. And then what you did yesterday was really special. How did you feel on the mound yesterday in your first playoff start? Oh, adrenaline through the roof. But I mean, I just try to kind of control that the best I could and just kind of be myself and not let the moment be too big. And uh, I feel like we all did a pretty good job of doing that. You know, there is something about you when you face the Chicago White Sox, your old team, where where, where there's just a, an extra fire. What is it like for you when you go against them? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's similar to playing a pickup basketball game against your friends. Uh, the random person on the street, it's not that big of a deal. But once your friend kind of elbows you in the ribs, it's a little different. So uh, I, I know a lot of those guys over there and – we talk crap throughout the off season. We talk crap nonstop to each other. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun, but it's uh, it definitely adds a, a little fuel to the fire. You know, you said yesterday after the game that you guys know the score. You guys understand how this franchise has not done well recently in wild card games, elimination games, and that there was a sense of relief. Talk about that for you and your teammates. Yeah, I mean, we, we want to go to the next round. We want to make a postseason run. I think we have the team to do it. And uh, obviously fans and everyone has high expectations on us. But, I mean, we have, I think, the highest ex- expectations we can possibly have on ourselves. And I think we put a ton of pressure on ourselves early. And I'm not saying early in this, this series, but early in the year to be way better than just make the playoffs. And um, winning that first game and kind of taking that very first step was huge for us. No doubt about it. And then today, what do you think today is going to be like? As this is the ultimate, I mean, it, it's a game seven, but yet it's it's only game three, but it's like what we talk about, the intensity of a game seven. Winner moves on, loser goes home. Yeah, I mean, everyone's available, I think, except for maybe me. And uh, I, I wish I was available somehow, but uh, – um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be who makes the that big pitch and who makes that who gets that big hit for the team. And it's going to be it's just going to be a fun fun atmosphere. And I, th- I think we're we're ready for it. You know, everybody has wondered about the adrenaline and how you're going to get the adrenaline going without the fans. You look like you had a ton of it yesterday. Does it get to a point to where? I don't want to say you don't notice it anymore, but are, are you at a point to where whether the fans are there or not, the adrenaline is pumping for you? I mean, there's no doubt fans add adrenaline to, I mean, to the game. There, I mean, there's literally no debate in that. But if you don't have adrenaline in a playoff game, then I don't know why you're playing baseball anymore. So uh, I think everyone's adrenaline is basically through the roof when it comes to starting the game. And then it's kind of just trying to get into the game and kind of relax a little bit. But I mean, 
again, if, if you're if you're playing a playoff game, knowing that there's very few teams left and you're going for a World, World Series and you're not excited, then again, I don't think you should be playing the game anymore. You know, you guys get two runs in the first, you get two runs in the second. How much did that help, as we say, relieve the pressure that you're finally up in a game versus in so many of these games recently, you've been trailing? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, was an, it was absolutely massive. Um, the two runs in the first were obviously a little, a little bit of a relief. But, I mean, once we basically got to 4-0, four, four I knew pretty much the only way for them to kind of get back in the game was for me to basically, like, walk guys and get wild all of a sudden. So I just I told Murph, just, hey, let's make them earn absolutely everything. Um, let's even go even more like middle-middle on OO pitches and stuff like that, get ahead early. And, and like I said, just make them earn everything. So I felt like the only way they could have possibly won yesterday after I got that 4-0 and then eventually when Katie hit the 5-0, the home run for him, for him I just said, listen, I mean, make them earn everything because I don't think they're going to be able to get to five runs. You know, you know what, what does it mean to the team when Chris goes deep? It's like you guys get so excited. You know his struggles, but it just seems like it's so uplifting when he's able to actually hit a home run and contribute. It means so much to you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I mean, he's, uh, I think, one of the quiet, emotional leaders in our clubhouse. I think people rally behind him. Um, I think he was going great, and then he obviously had some health issues when he ran his ribs into a wall that decided not to move on him. But uh, I think he's pretty much he, – I mean, he's dang near close to being back back. And I, I think his positive energy that he's kind of bringing to the table now and um, work ethic, I think he's very, very close. If not, he's completely back to what he used to be. And now it's kind of like – I mean, I know it's hard to get every day at bats in the playoffs. But, I mean, I think yesterday basically showed that he's – he is back. I mean, I think everyone thought he hit a home run to right in the first at bat, and then obviously hit another. He hit he hit a home run, and I mean, just the explosion in his bat I, we haven't seen in a while, and it's 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 truly returned in batting practice and stuff like that in like the last two three weeks. You know, I got to tell you, I've been very bullish on Mike Fires. I, I think what he's done here. With the athletics, it's basically been wind day, especially at the Coliseum. And and you think about the no-hitter, you think about all the quality outings, but yet he doesn't have the highest velocity, he doesn't have the greatest spin rate. And I'm like, how is this guy not starting a postseason game? And I wonder how it's affected the team the last couple of years. Well, it's finally getting announced that Mike Fires is going to start game three today. What does that mean for this clubhouse? Uh, it's, it's massive. I mean, I think, uh, people don't really understand what, what fires brings to the table and the aspect of like team energy. Um, he is a guy that I think every single person when fires kind of gets on the mound and stuff like that, they know the energy is going to be basically be sky high because that's what he brings. I mean, he, he is a very high energy guy and I feel like it's pretty dang contagious. So, uh, yeah, I know the position players feed off of it. I know for a fact the pitchers feed off of it. And uh, I think just him being on the mound, is, is just, it's, it's great for everyone because, again, it just there isn't a quiet dugout when he's, when he's pitching. Yeah, I mean, it, it just to, to not see him pitch in New York, to not see him pitch last year, it's just at some point you're like, uh, this guy, 
I mean, he's a leader and he's been a leader of the staff. And, and, I, and I know quietly, I mean, he doesn't talk a lot about it, but he's helped a lot of you guys. No doubt. Um, he's, he's pushed, he's pushed dang near everyone. I mean, and just in different ways. I mean, I think everyone, they get up to the seven, eight, nine year mark kind of thing, what fires kind of has, but I mean, everyone kind of has their own way of kind of guiding players in the right direction. And he's definitely a unique, different one where it's not so much advice about pitching. It's more so advice about just what it takes to be a starter in the big leagues or even any, any type of role in the big leagues and just the energy you have to bring every single day. I mean, the team relies on you when you step on the mound, the team relies on you to bring the energy. They rely on you to, positive energy on the mound and stuff like that and I mean I think you kind of have seen Zeus kind of come out of his shell a little bit just because those guys have hung around each other a lot in the off season, and then obviously me and Manaya have kind of fed off that so uh yeah I, I just think his energy has been contagious for all of us yeah that's something we kind of forget that uh you know what uh Jesus Cesardo just turned 23 Mike's 35 but we kind of forget that uh They've hung around each other a lot and, and gotten to know each other real well, and he's kind of been a mentor to him. Yeah, Lazardo's turning into a little bit of a mini Mike kind of thing. Just, I mean, <laughs> you have you have a twenty-three-year-old rookie basically talking crap to everyone, and everyone has to kind of humble Lazardo a little bit. But uh, it's great; it's awesome. Um, I just think fires makes everyone feel pretty dang comfortable. Um, like I said, it's just. High energy. Everyone's pretty dang excited already. So uh, I know fire is already in our dang, our, our uh, clubhouse talking crap to people. So it's going to be a fun day. Yeah, just make sure that Jesus doesn't pull that beard off. Just what, what, whatever <laughs> happens, just keep keep that from keep keep that from happening. Okay, I will. <laughs> Chris, hey, we're proud of you. It was great to see what you did. And by the way, uh, haven't mentioned yet. Congratulations on being American League Pitcher of the Month. That was well deserved. Thank you. And be well, be safe, and we'll hopefully talk to you in the next round. Yes, hopefully, like, let's get to L.A. Let's let's just get to L.A. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Chris Bassett. Let me tell you something. The story last year in Japan when he was being sent down because of a a random fourth-year option, he was not thrilled. And I remember it was kind of controversial. And I asked him about it. And I know PR was like, uh, I'm not sure about this. So I actually went. David Force was in the dugout at the Tokyo Dome. And I went to David and I said, David, I asked uh, Chris Bassett about this. And we're going to air it. Are you cool with it? And as always, uh, David was, yeah, that's fine. I mean, totally understand that he's not upset. We 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 expect him to be upset about it. And we we aired the interviews. We did all the interviews from Tokyo. And I remember telling Chris, I'm like, hey, man, you're going to be back and you're going to play a big role in this. That was last year. To think where we were from that point to where we are today. Think about that. Guy getting optioned to Las Vegas because of a because he 
the way the fourth year option works, he missed a year because of Tommy John that the A's were able to send him back down. And he was heated. Because he felt, I should be pitching in the big leagues. And you know what? He should have been. He came back, what, he went 10 games last year, ended up going to the bullpen to help Bob Melvin out, to where now he's your best pitcher. He's your best pitcher. I'm sorry. I, 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 and, and I, I think Jesus Lazardo is one hell of a kid. He's very mature for his age. He's very bright. I remember the first time we interviewed him face to face at the offices. You remember that, Cody, and Jack London? Yeah, the, in the box. In the box. Yeah, the, the, the. Uh, what do we call it? The Joey Town Studio, because Joey Libertori built the studio and. In Jingletown, but you re- reference it to Joeytown. But I remember Jesus came in there because that's when we met him face to face because it was right before Fan Fest, which seems like it was 400 years ago. Oh my God. And, you know, a lot of 22 year olds are horrible interviews. Shocker. Especially baseball players. You got to remember, I mean, it's different. When you play like college football and you're a star player, you will talk to the media. You're going to have to deal with the national media because you play in these big games and you're going to be in a bowl game. And then, you know, you're going to have media experience. If you're a college basketball player, you probably played in the tournament. You're going to have media experience. These kids who play in the minor leagues have like zero media experience. So when you first interview them, they're horrible. Jesus Cesardo, polished. And I was very, very impressed. And he has great stuff. There's no question. He's an electric arm. But I keep having people come on my show and say he's a great pitcher. I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean by great? You're acting like he's Steve Carlton. You're acting like he's Sandy Koufax, Warren Spahn. Kid needs to grow. Let him grow. Stop putting these expectations on him. Don't be starting him game one. Come on. Really? And I know I got to play a certain role, but at some point I got to tell you how I feel. It's got a five ERA in September. We've had multiple people. Am I right or wrong, Cody? We've had multiple people on this show the last week and a half say he's a great pitcher. Great. Yeah. What's your definition of great? He has uh, right now, and I have no doubt in my mind he's going to turn into a great pitcher. But right now he's still so young. He has great stuff. Thank you. He's not a great pitcher yet. Now, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not saying people can have their own opinion on him, whatever, on anybody, whatever they want. But in my opinion, he's not great yet. He's a, he's building into a good and can be a great pitcher. He's just turned 23 years old. Let's not label him as the next big thing just yet. I think that's too much pressure to put on a guy. Clayton Kershaw was really good when we called when everyone said he's the next Sandy Koufax, and he's lived up to it. I think sometimes putting those labels on guys, that's why some of these, and it's not going to happen to Jesus, but some of these other, you see these top prospects, they get labeled as the next big thing or, you know, they're our guy that take us to the promised land. They always falter. Again, I mentioned this yesterday. Trust me, I am a fan of the one of the worst-run organizations in sports and the Pirates for the last 20-something years, going on 30. I know what happens with uh, when they build guys to be the next big thing. That's happened one time where the guy actually paid off for them, and it was Andrew McCutcheon. So let's just wait. 
And he has, like I said, he has great stuff right now. And he's just turned 23 yesterday. And he'll be he'll get better each year if he stays healthy, which I, I, I'm hoping he does. So let's just pump the brakes a little okay. bit on that. Let, let, let me just give you an example. And to any of the people in the media who potentially are listening to the show right now, let me give you an example. Jesus Lazardo turned 23 yesterday, right? It was yesterday. These days are all running together. Yeah, it was yesterday. It's 23rd birthday okay. yesterday. So this year, coming up next, you want to talk about great? You want to call him great? Okay. Clayton Kershaw, the name you just mentioned, at the age of 23, was 21 and 5 with a 2.28 ERA, started 33 games, pitched 233 and a third innings, struck out 248 batters in 233 and a third innings, and won the Cy Young Award, and was an all star and got MVP votes. It's pretty solid. I mean, he's lived up five to five complete games. What's that? Okay. And two shutouts. So for all the people who are at, so I'm at this point, if you're going to come on my show and say he's great, I'm going to go, okay, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I kind of did it yesterday, and I'm going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. This kid has a five ERA in September. Clayton Kershaw at the same age is winning 21 games and winning the Cy Young Award. I've already gone back to, like, super phenom guys. I think we need to let Jesus grow and not push him into being something he's not. It's not fair. It's not fair to him. It's not fair that I'm bringing this up, but I'm being forced to bring it up because I'm hearing the word great. You want greatness, I'll find you greatness. I'll go to Dwight Gooden. Go look at Brett Saberhagen in 1985 as a kid leading the Royals to the World Series. I'll find you great. Right now, your best pitcher is the guy we just had on. It's not a question. There's no question about it. Stop telling me Jesus Lizardo is your best pitcher. I could give a crap about your stat cast and whatever whatever data you're using. My data is wins and losses. My data is who is the American League Pitcher of the Month. That's Chris Bassett. That's nobody else but Chris Bassett in baseball. He's throwing the ball as well as anybody in the game. That's fact. You can't take that back. Not Shane Bieber, not Garrett Cole, not 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 your boy Grinky, who's so soft and went four innings. The best pitcher in the American League right now is Chris Bassett. Do you challenge me on that? No, I, I he's he's clearly the best pitcher on the staff right now. I'm not disagreeing with no, you he's on the that. Best pitcher, he's the best starting pitcher in the American League right now. Right now, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, there's no argument against it. The September he put up, there's no way to argue against it. He has the numbers. Did you see the start yesterday against a very yeah. good White Sox lineup? Yeah, seven innings, one run, where Shane Bieber gave up seven runs in his start, where he didn't give up more than like I think three all year long in a start. I mean, so, I mean am I am I out of line here? I mean, I'm just going on. I'm just going on what's actually happening. Yeah, Cole's pretty. Yeah, yeah. He had, he had a nice little game against the uh, <laughs> a game against the the uh, Indians. He had what? What do you got? Like last now yesterday. 
Yeah, can we not bring him up, please? Uh, as, again, as a fan of a team that traded him away, don't he's like. The- he's just he's kind of like Bassett, but bigger. I mean, he's just all arms and legs, and and he throws like a hundred. I don't know how you hit that guy. Yeah, well, I mean, the Rays that curveball. I mean, it, from a guy that tall, that cur. I mean, that's just that's just nasty. Do I have my former All Star, the kid from Oakland, the great Bip Roberts? Yes, you do, sir. <laughs> Bipster, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing great, man. Got the monkey off my back last yesterday, so I'm feeling good about today. You know, and if you get this next monkey off your back, the whole uh, winner-take-all game and move on, I mean, what that would mean to the A's just to clear their head. And, I mean, because obviously Chris Bassett just said it. These guys know, right, Bip? They know what's going on. They know the numbers. If they could just get a clear head, who knows what these kids could accomplish? Absolutely. I think anytime you can get a win, it builds that confidence, that confidence that you know you've had all season and you know that you could win. And I think that guys now want to just make the plays, get the timely hits. And when you beat a team like Chicago, the White Sox, a lot of us who – you know, in the industry, we believe that one time the White Sox were the best team in the American League. And if you can beat this team, the confidence level goes way up because now you get into the next round against Houston. And I don't want to look too far ahead, but if you get into that next round against Houston, the confidence you have playing against Houston is insurmountable. And that's what really gives you that confidence to believe you can win. All right, so how do you feel about Fires over Manaya starting this game, knowing that the White Sox fifteen and zero against left-handed starting pitching? Yeah, let's not let's not you know test that fate of being a thing go sixteen and zero against lefties, <laughs> because I mean after you get to five wins that are over left, you have to start believing that this team hits lefties well, and I think we saw that righties have a tendency to face this all right-handed lineup. Use good fastball, good use good slider, good change ups, keeping these guys off balance and making them change their swings and make an adjustment. So I believe that that's a great move by Bob Melvin to get that starter, Mike Fires out there, who is a veteran, understands the strike zone, understands the scout report and how to face each guy. He can use that to his benefit. And again, when you're facing right-handed pitchers as an all right-handed lineup, pretty much. The sequence is going to be key. One pitch sets up the next pitch. And if, you know, Mike Fires is working inside, now he can use his slider and fastball to the outside part of the plate. Each pitch has a tendency to look the same but have different breaks. And because of that, you miss the barrel of the bat. So let's just hope that Mike Fires keeps the ball down in the right zone and doesn't make mistakes right across the plate. You know, it made me think of, Bip, like in football, if you've got a defensive line, that you can't run on this certain side of the defensive line because they just got run stuffers. And it's like, well, we're just going to keep running it at that side. Well, why would you keep doing that? You know they're going <laughs> to stop it. That's all they do is stop the run. This side of their defensive line, instead of running right, why don't you run a left? I mean, that that is kind of like, that's what I was thinking. Like, if, if Mania was going to start today, I, I was going to be like, you already know what they do well. Why would you keep going after what they do well? And like it, and 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 their whole answer was was well, you know, the guys that they faced weren't as good. Like Tim Anderson basically said, "Thank you. Did you not do your homework throwing a lefty against us?" It was like, oh my god, right? 
you know that when the White Sox saw Lefty on the mound, they said, oh, we got this, boys. You know what we do yeah. against lefties, you know, and they have a certain approach that they take against lefties, and it works. Because all of a sudden you look up and these guys are driving the ball from gap to gap, and they're catching pitches that are just mistakes and driving them out the yard. And they know, based on having confidence, knowing that this is what we do against lefties, there's no lefty we have in faith that we can't beat. When you have that blemish that 14, 15, and 0 against a lefty, you own lefties. And that's a stat you can't refute. So why would you continue to bet against the house and believe that your lefty is better than all the other lefties in all of Major League Baseball? It just doesn't happen that way. These stats are, uh, when you see 15 and 0, they're there for a reason. These guys tear up lefties. And so I think it's just great to have one lefty go, and now you have the two righties. And I believe that as a right-handed hitter facing the right-handed pitcher, the toughest pitch to lay off of is a good slider off a good fastball away. Both pitches look the same, but they do different action. And so, as you said, why continue to run against the, the strong side when you could use the outside part of the plate and make that your advantage? You know, as a hitter, when you're going into a game – and you know you're going to see a lot of different pitchers. Preparation-wise, what is that like? Well, you know, when you face a left, he's going to come in. Everything is from that opposite arm, and he's going to come in. Everything is coming towards you. Sliders breaking towards you. Curveballs breaking towards you. The only thing that he can probably get you out on is a good change up away. When you're facing that righty as a righty, you know that he's going away from you. That inside arm is now going to pitches that move away from you and then he's going to use a four seam to keep you honest and not dive across the plate so i think that's where you have to make the adjustments and understand okay if i'm right-handed facing a right-hander i'm going to have to look middle away i'm going to have to adjust inside and if he gets me out inside then he gets me out inside but i can't let him beat me away and i think that's where the tough part of righty on righty is because again mike fires can make his pitches you know, he can throw that slider away. He can throw the four-seamer away. He can throw the cutter away. Everything comes out of the same arm slot but has different actions. So you as a hitter have to make the adjustments and say, I'm going to look away, I'm going to stay inside the ball, and I'm just going to try to hit the ball hard somewhere. And, and we saw that when Wendelkin came in the other day. He started to bust them inside, and he got them off balance. And then all of a sudden he would work away or he'd come back inside. He had these guys confused. And so did Bassett. And I think that's the key. When, you, when, you face an, when, you, when you're in the scouting report, you're saying, okay, this guy does this well and this guy does that well. If he's on, then we're going to have to battle. If he makes mistakes, make sure you don't miss him. You know, what is it about scoring first that just is like a relief for a team? Uh, because we know you score first, the chances are, or the odds are, you're going to win the game. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it gives right now because you are facing the best pitching and the best bullpen. It now gives those guys that extra adrenaline they need to go out there and perform. And, and I think that is real key for you to be able to settle down your starter because he's going to go out there and he may feel some jitters, a little bit of nervousness because these are very big games. You've worked hard all season during this 2020 COVID to get to this point, and this is an unprecedented type year. And now you want to go as far as you can and maybe win this whole thing. So. If your offense can get out there and score early, and now your guy can relax and say, okay, one pitch won't hurt me, one mistake won't hurt me, I can now throw my game. I think that's pivotal anytime you go into a tough ball game or 
a, a third game of a three-game series, and it's tied 1-1, to get your guy to relax so now he can make his pitches and not feel that pressure that some guys would feel if they're down 1-0-1 or 1-0 at that time. How you feeling now that, you know, in baseball today in the postseason, we're bringing in our best arms in the seventh and eighth inning, and, boy, it can get dicey, and it can get dicey fast. Yeah, these are the best teams. This is what we talk about during a regular season. Yeah, the regular season is great, and you have good times, and you have winning streaks. But when you get into the playoffs, you're facing the best of everything, best arms, best arms on the mound, best arms in the bullpen, the best lineups, the best defense. And so every play becomes critical. And, and as we saw yesterday, it got a little shaky at the end because, again, Chicago White Sox are a very good ball club. They don't give up. They're like the A's. They play nine. They understand how to compete for nine. And normally they come out on top. If it wasn't for a great play by Mark Canna yesterday, I don't know what would have happened in that ball game. Early, Mark made a great play in left field running down that ball. That could have been a double and drove in a run or two. But the bottom line was you've got to make the plays. If you don't make the plays, you're not going to win. Well, Mark Canna, when we talk about, you know, we've nicknamed him here duct tape. It, it's pretty amazing <laughs> uh, what, what, what he's been able to do for the A's. Uh, he's been so versatile. Who would have thought he could play center? But he could play any outfield position. He could play first base for you. He can DH. And I, I don't know where this team would be without Mark Canna. He's so steady. He can do so much for you. He's a special player, a great teammate. And you don't win 97 games two straight years. And you don't win the AL West this year without Mark Canna. You know, Mark Canna is the type of guy that, he may not win league most valuable player, but he could win team most valuable player because without him, as you said, we don't know where this team would be. He can play right. He can play center. He can play left. If you ask him, he'll play first. And if you ask him to do anything else, he will give his best. But he's the type of guy that in the lineup, when he's able to, he will take advantage of those pitchers and drive the ball out the yard, get big hits. He's not afraid to play uh, as far as come up in big situations and perform. You know, there are times when we see him struggle at the plate, but you never see him just give away at bats. These guys understand that Mark Canna can hit, and so they pitch him differently. And when they know you can hit and they pitch you differently, they pitch you tough, and they use that fastball to set up that slider, especially the righty against the righty. And sometimes he may chase that slider based on the sequence of pitches. But when it comes to being solid and being that guy that every time you put in a lineup, you're going to get the best professional at bat, the best guy he may not be the best left fielder the best outfielder but he's going to give you the best effort that Mark Canna can give you and that's all you can ask for and because as you said he's a duct tape type of guy he's the type of guy on that team that's very valuable you can't win ball games without having guys like Mark Canna on your team when something's wrong at your house what do you do Bip you you, you get duct tape <laughs> I call somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got that kind of money. The rest of us, we got to use. Duct tape. Hey, you, you, I you know, I, I, when I think of someone like yourself, Tommy Lastella, since he's come over, his presence in the lineup has helped change the lineup. A guy that makes contact, a guy that makes quality contact, a guy that doesn't strike out, and it's just quality at bat after quality at bat. You've said now for years on my show, 
If you struck out, you went back to the dugout, you were angry. If you struck out twice in a game, uh, like it's unfathomable for you to strike out four times in a game. Just talk about having a guy that takes these kind of at-bats, doesn't strike out, always makes contact, how a guy like this can change your lineup and essentially become your best player. You know, when I watch him, when I watch Tommy, his thing is he is so quick to the ball in the back of the zone. He's short to that baseball. He can let the ball travel to the back part of the strike zone, still make solid contact, and drive it into a gap or drive it up the middle for a base hit. He's that kind of guy that works on the tee, and he uses it to better himself. And I can see that in him because when I look at myself, I look at what Tony used to do, Tony Gwen. We hit from the back of the zone forward, not from the front of the zone backwards. Because that way, if we can get our bat hit in the zone a long time, we can make solid contact. And I see this guy following pitches off that are almost in the catcher's glove. And that's what you want. You want a guy to see the ball all the way basically into the catcher's glove. And if he can spoil that pitch, he's going to spoil that pitch. I watch him sometime and I go, boy, that's nice. I mean, I don't know if people can see what we're seeing, but his swing is so short and quick to the baseball. And if he does get a pitch that he can – you know, uh, let it, let it, let it loose and get out in front of the zone. He's there behind the baseball to be able to do it. He's never really out in front of the baseball where you see him, you know, missing a pitch by a mile because he was so far in front. He's either fouling that pitch off late in the zone or he's on that pitch that's in front of the zone. So when you throw him a breaking ball and you speed up his bat, he may go deep. He may hit the ball hard somewhere, but he's not going to be fooled on it. And now if you throw him a good 100-mile-an-hour fastball, he can hit it in the back of the zone and drive it the other way. This kid can hit, and he's always been able to hit, and hitters can see hitters. As they say, game recognized game. This kid's got a lot of game. And he is going to be leading off today for your Oakland Athletics as the lineup is out for the A's, but the line, lineup is not out for the Chicago White Sox. Let's end on this, Bip. Uh, how much fun is it just seeing all these different baseball games and it's all day long and it's it's basically the baseball version of the NCAA tournament? <laughs> my couch right now has a hole in it. And I can tell you, boy, my back is sore because I don't normally sit around this long, but to watch game after game after game and you're thinking, well, you know what, I'm going to go do something. But then when the game starts and, and, and it's so intriguing, the matchups and you just, okay, wait a minute, I'll put that off until later. And before you know it, you wake up in this daytime, but when you decide to walk away from the TV, it's nighttime. And I don't know if I like that because I'm a physical guy, but I really love watching the game, so I, I don't mind. I I mean, after I got doing the post-game show, next thing you know, the, the Yankees and Indians are in rain delay, and then they're, then they're back on, and I'm, I'm, I got them on the tube. I got, I, I got Brewers and Dodgers on my computer. It's like it's baseball all day. It's like heaven. Yeah, my TV is about to blow up because I keep hitting the button to go to the next channel, back to the next channel, back to the next. <laughs> but the game, it's like when you find or you see a rally or like a tough ball game, like that game with uh, Cleveland and New York last night, how – it went back and forth, and then at the end, the Yankees, they pull it out. Chapman comes in and gets the save. That was a great ball game. And then after that's over, you turn over to the, 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 the Dodger game, and you're going, whoa, wait a minute. This is a good ball game as well. So it lasts from morning all the way until the night. But I'll tell you what, Tony, I wouldn't have it any other way. How about the Yankees getting that rally late, and it was all about just making contact? 
They really didn't hit any ball hard. They put the ball in play. They put the pressure on the Indians, and the Indians folded. Yeah, and, you know, the Yankees, they they, they had a, a lot of walks in that ball game. The big guys were able to take good pitches, good sliders down and in. And I just said, wow, you know, how do you start a rally? Well, how, who, who thinks that the Yankees can start rallies with walks? <laughs> but that's what they did. And then they get the long ball or they get the big hit. Those guys are tremendous. The, the, the big guys, the, the guys who are supposed to come through, they come through with base hits when you need it. They're going to be tough to beat. All right, Bibster, no matter what happens today, we got to have you on through the playoffs. So we'll talk to you soon. Be well and be safe. All right. Good luck. And let's go A's. Coming up next, I saw something yesterday that I thought I would never see. And I was like, this is incredible. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town. A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Get your quarters ready. Introducing Pac-Man Scratchers. Give him the green light. Absolutely. All right, let's see if they do something here. First pitch to Hernandez is sent into left field, and it's a base hit as it drops in. The shield's being waved around. No play at the plate. Cleveland goes on top 9-8. to eight. Off the contact. Look at the break. Hit. Are you watching Yankees highlights? He's gone. I don't know what I have. It's something on ESPN oh, playing. ESPN. Oh. I was wondering what's it going just, on. It just starts playing. I, I. It was actually kind of funny because coming back from break, we we're playing the the rejoin in the music, and then you hear Vasquez's like highlight. I'm like, wait, was this what your your tease was? Is this play from the Yankees Indians game? No, I, <laughs> I I just have the box score up, and all of a sudden it just starts playing. It's unbelievable. All right, good news. I did put the trash out last night. All right, good. I was worried because I saw you run out when we went to break to go check. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard them take it yet, but they have. Uh, so that's good news. Uh, the We had Jason Benetti on yesterday who does play-by-play television for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, also did the StatCast broadcast for Yankees Indians. But I watched him all day. He was on for seven hours. ESPN Plus, where they do the baseball red zone, it's incredible. Oh, it's awesome. I watched it yesterday, too. Uh, uh, I'm, like, addicted. Like, literally, I have the A's game on my television. But I am – but do, so I subscribe to ESPN Plus. I mean, literally, it's like what? It's $4 a year or yeah, something like it's that? It's $50 a year, like four ninety nine a month. I have it, too. I've had oh, it for a couple years. a month. Yeah, I've had it for a couple years. It's great. You got to have it. I mean, that's, I mean, all their top articles, that's how they hook you. It really is 50 bucks a year. Yeah, I think it's forty nine ninety nine. Um, But yeah, See, it's my great. generation, by the way, we just subscribe to something and then you just forget about it. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I think our baseball reference thing that we subscribe to is coming up soon uh, that we have to read. Well, we forgot about it. Don't even use it. But it was like, yeah, we got to subscribe to it. I just ask you and you go figure it out. Yeah, I love uh, it. It's a, That was a great investment, too. So I'm watching that yesterday and there there was four games going on. If you can afford it, I'm telling you, it's worth it. Because the articles are great. Like, you know, when Buster only our guy has something special, you're going to have to be ESPN plus to get it. And same thing for a lot of the good NFL stuff. 
But yesterday, being able to go from game to game, like all of a sudden it was like, oh, the Marlins did this. And then, oh, this is what's going on with Reds Braves. I mean, it was like Red Zone's awesome and obviously is one of the most successful things in football as uh, they don't do ratings. I don't know, but, but the amount of people that watch the Red Zone is crazy. And if you don't know what the Red Zone is on uh, your NFL package, it, it is basically if a team gets into scoring position, they immediately go to that game. So you're not sitting there watching a four-hour long, boring NFL game. You're just seeing all the action. And it totally goes with the fantasy football era. Well, watching that yesterday, I'm like, this is a hit. This is, I mean, this was this was awesome. So I could watch the A's game and then follow the other games, and they would have the A's game on too. Obviously, it, w- it was behind what ESPN was doing, but that was, I mean, come on. I can't wait to see that today. I mean, with all the games going on to today, I mean, there's only one American League game left. How about that? Only one game three in the American League, and that's us. Everybody else two and out. And now it's all about the National League. And to be able to watch all these games today, I don't know how anybody, I don't care how old school you are, and I've been saying this on the Clubhouse show, I've been saying this on A's Cast Live, just before you knock it, you got to try it. Because what's been the mantra this year? Oh, I'll just, just for this year. Just for this year, and okay, anything goes just this year. Who's going to tell us this isn't successful? I would, I would hope nobody would because it's. Oh, uh, I, I, I know a couple people are going to be like, just for this year, really. You're really going to watch this and really see everything that's going on with baseball to see. W- would you admit nationally? This is being covered more than it normally is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the what ESPN's doing with squeeze play, that's what it's called on ESPN Plus. There are gonna be people, the old school people, well, I'm not subscribing to ESPN Plus to watch that. Uh it, it's a great You can't have a team under five hundred in the postseason. Hey, let me tell you something. If LeBron wasn't in the NBA finals, because normally the NBA finals would have been done. They would be starting up the NBA in a month. If baseball was just going head-to-head with football right now and you have what's going on right now with all these different games and all the excitement, I don't know how you're going to tell me this is bad for baseball. But then these are the same people that were going to tell you that expanding the postseason was not good for baseball, wild card was not good for baseball, interleague play was not good for baseball, Wrong, wrong, wrong. These people that don't want change don't understand business. I don't know any business that doesn't change. I don't know. I Name me a business that just goes, we're never changing. There's not a business in the United States of America that's successful that doesn't change, that doesn't adapt, that doesn't try and get better. I mean, Brian Kenny even said the other day, hey, maybe we go back to just the winner of the American League and the winner of the National League playing the World Series. And, it's like, and he was joking, but it's like, 
Do you people not want to make money? Do you people not want to grow? Do you not want bigger television contracts? Do you not want more attendance, more games, more money? By the way, I want to look at these people and I want to go, do you not want to make more money working in baseball? This is how we'll all make more money. The sport will make more money. I just don't, I, I don't get how baseball is the one sport that has people who actually work in it, who actually collect paychecks from it, and they don't want to grow. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Did expanding the NCAA tournament hurt hurt college basketball? I think it's done pretty well. What is it, 68 teams now with the two playing games that you have? So it goes on to 64 again, but you got did those. Ex- did expanding the NFL playoffs hurt the NFL? No, and they expanded it again to seven teams this year. Remember, the top seed in each conference gets a bye, so you have seven teams in the playoffs in 2020. How about uh, the NBA and the NHL? Did that destroy those sports? No, but there are those people out there that go, There's, you have the league shouldn't make the playoffs. Uh, is is college football hurting for cash because they have all those bowl games in the playoffs? Does that did, did, did that hurt college football? No, it actually helped college football because the BCS was a joke. Uh, didn't the PGA Tour basically now never takes a day off and there's basically tournaments every week, even throughout the winter? Did, did that destroy Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas? These guys, you know. Brooks Kepka, they're not making money. I was to say, please don't leave out Brooks Kepka. Well, if you bring him, yeah, he'll he'll come down our road if we don't bring him up. <laughs> are all these golfers hurting because there's more tournaments? I think I think Phil and Tiger are doing okay with uh, playing each other every year and making a ton of money. Yeah, hey, Phil and Tiger, was that bad for the sport? Just you know, have Phil and Tiger and Peyton Manning, and you know, that hurt that that Tom Brady that 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 hurt people. Is that too much exposure? Is too much exposure bad for a sport? I swear to God, I I, I don't I can't believe I even bring this stuff up. That I have to actually bring this stuff up. Okay, okay. So is this the special moment? We're gonna have Joe Rudy, one of the great A's of all time, with Ray Fossey at the same time. Fossey's calling into us, and then once Ray comes on, we can talk to him for a minute, then I'll call Joe Rudy because I'm calling Joe. Uh, now, this was your idea after because we didn't know how good yesterday was going to go with the great Ken Hawk Harrelson, the Ford C. Frick Award winner, the Hall of Famer, who is an absolute legend. Whenever you hear his voice, you're just like, oh, the Hawk. Mercy. But yeah, it, He's the best. so it, it came it came up because Vince mentioned about the Marcana catch being like the Joe Rudy catch in the 1972 World Series Game Two versus the Big Red Machine. Where, Joe where Rudy, were you in 1972? Uh, I was 16, negative 16 years old in 1972. Ray Fossey, where you were in Cleveland in 1972? Yes, I was. Tommy, how you doing, buddy? I was born in 1972. I was born at the start of the A's dynasty. Tommy, Carol, and I played. We had a Cleveland had a game. I've said this before, but the Indians. We played in the afternoon, and Carol and I went back to our condo, and we had gotten married in '70. So '72, we had a condo in uh, in uh, South Cleveland. Nobody lived in downtown Cleveland, so we were south of, of Cleveland. <laughs> now it's a little bit different now, but. Uh, 
we were living in a condo and I turned on the TV and I just yelled like, Carol, look, look, these guys are wearing mustaches and long hair and, and nobody at the time did that. So that was my introduction to the, uh, the future world champion Oakland Athletics because the great late Charlie Finley had the promotion about guys grow mustaches, grow whatever, we'll give you money, give you money which as uh, Raleigh Fingers would say, 200 bucks at the time with a, uh, a gold-plated mustache comb was a lot of money to the Oakland A's. So they took it, and uh, yeah, I was in Cleveland, and you know, as much as I didn't want to be traded, it turned out to be the greatest thing because you know what? All these years later, as I've said, I get to sit here and talk to you guys, and uh, it's been it's been a blessing. And I, I thank my wife Carol because she kept saying, you know, there are two teams in the Bay Area, and and so we kind of settled here, and uh, the rest is history. Fortunately, I've been part of the Oakland A's organization for many, many years, and uh, I'm very blessed, and uh, very blessed to be on the air with you guys. And uh, happy to be here today, especially after a big one yesterday. You know, and, and I know we joke about it all the time, but I really mean it. When I call you the face of the franchise, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're the one. You're the one person that bridges the gap of the greatness of the A's in the seventies to where we are today. You're the guy. And I I got to tell you, Ray, and and stop being humble because guys that I know that are my age and a little bit older who I hang out with, like their whole life, they've known you. You're the one constant of A's baseball in their entire life. And I've brought a couple of of them down on the field and I've had you go over and meet them and you know how they react when they meet you. Yeah. Well, I I will say it's it's kind of interesting and, and, you know, don't really, I don't think about it. I I just uh, enjoy what I do. I love baseball, always have. But I was someplace the other day, and of course, with the mask, you never know what a person's doing behind the mask, you know. And I think Matt Pearl, after the A's clinched the Western Division, he had a he had a picture of himself, uh, and he said, "I'm smiling under this mask." Well, you don't know. And so I, I asked the gentleman about something. He goes, "Hey Ray, how you doing?" I went, "Huh?" And I was kind of shocked. He said, "I recognize the voice." So again, it's something I don't think about, but. You know, uh, Tony, again, to, to have been in the Bay Area, and again, I give my wife, Carol, a lot of credit because, uh, uh, you know, she's from the Valley, and uh, we settled in the area, and I've been here a long time, obviously, but uh, I appreciate the the compliments. But, you know, that 72 team, and, um, you know, Joe Rudy is such a treat, and I think Cody's going to call him because you have, I think you have the general manager, David Forster, on a 10. Correct. So we're going to call Joe right now. Yeah, call Joe because, you know, he, he's such a great, great person. And, uh, you know, he and his wife Sharon down in Florida now, they were up in Baker, Oregon, and to uh, the Las Vegas area, and then uh, on to Florida where he's settled right now. So um, this is Joe. There is Joe. Joe. Joe, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's and your old teammate, Ray Fossey. Oh, my God. Is he still alive? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you, you're you already up, my friend, and you've had several cups of coffee because you're back on the East Coast, and uh, and uh, how's, how's Sharon doing? She's doing great. She's getting better every day, or, uh, you know, uh, down with her physical therapy, she's just got to continue to work on getting her full range of motion back in her left arm, so she's doing good. No more pain, thank goodness. 
Well, that's good. I know you're in the you're in the great Florida area where the sun always shines and it's always nice. I was in, uh, uh, you, know, you know how that works. And I played instructionally one one often, and it was one of those things. You walk outside and you don't have to do anything. And compared to when we were in Arizona in spring training, uh, the comparison of Florida, you walk out throw one one ball and you're loose and in arizona you got to throw about 20 to get loose so it's it's a little bit of different climate exactly. but uh, you know i'm happy for you my friend and it's a, it's an exciting time and i know chris and, and cody elias cody of course contacted you and uh um, i'm very happy to have you on to talk about hey listen that great catch you made and, and everybody's talking about 48 years ago where were they and cody what'd you say cody you're a minus 16 yeah, I was born in 1988, so it wasn't even a thought in my parents' mind yet. <laughs> oh my God. But Joe, but Joe, Joe, that that great catch in the World Series, and again, Vince Catronio yesterday uh, on the call, you know, he referenced you so quickly, making the, the call that the catch that you made in 1972. Take us back to that, and 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 basically. I know you give a lot of credit to one coach who really helped you play an outstanding outfield, but take us back to 1972. I think it was game two in Cincinnati. Right. Yep. When, yeah, when, you, made, when you made, yeah, Dennis Minkin, you made the fabulous catch. Take us back. And I know you remember it like it happened yesterday, but uh, take us back to that time because we saw it again, almost uh, exactly with Mark Canna yesterday. Yeah, people don't realize the, you know the, the thousands of times that you practice that very catch type of thing. Uh, like as you were referencing, coach, you know, with the A's, myself especially, were very blessed when we moved from Kansas City to Oakland that we had Joe DiMaggio, who was you know fairly yeah. decent outfielder, I think, if I remember <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, you know, he was our outfield coach, and I, you know, I'm shortstop and bounce around third base a little bit, and they finally. Bob Kennedy was trying to make me into a left fielder, and uh, you know he took me under his wing that year in '68. And uh, starting in spring training, Joe DiMaggio was out there every day before games from spring training all the way through the seasons, all of '68, '69, trying to teach me footwork, you know, how to, you know, focus on, you know, the, the ball getting up to the hitter, eye shift from the pitcher to the hitter, and where to look in front of the hitter to see the bat come through, and you know, just learning your footwork was hard enough and then turning your back on a ball and going back and being on the right line and understanding that every ball, you know, right field, left fielder, if the ball's hit right at you or towards the line, it's always going to be curving. Whether it's right hand mm -hmm. or the left hand hitter, it's always moving towards the line. And uh, you always have to adjust for that as you turn because your first instinct like that ball was my to rotate to my left. And then I had to make that adjustment back to towards the line as the ball started moving that way. But again, it was one of those wonderful things with, with the Joe D that, you know, we practiced and practiced and practiced. And I had a heck of a time learning line and go to the right spot. And, uh, you know, as uh, Yogi Berry used to say, it's a, you know, deja vu all over again because <laughs> we practiced that thousands and thousands of times uh, going back and on that ball and watching him yesterday again he's got to bust his butt to get back to the fence and actually that ball as an outfielder going to your left or your glove side i should say because it happened to if you're right-handed uh, or left-handed thrower in right field like reggie was uh, that ball to your left as you're running hard and trying to judge because the glove is over to your left, you really can't 
you're, you're focusing on the ball and you open your gloves in the right spot. It, to me, it's actually a tougher catch. I mean, it was a, a super catch in a, in a very, you know, must-win situation. That's amazing that uh, that you worked on it that much. And, Chris, jump in here anytime. I, I know I, I've got several things to talk to Joe about. But, uh, Are you but Chris, kidding how would me? You... You, guys, you guys just go. Just go. Chris, 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 I have to ask you, though, Chris Townsend, how would you like to have the great Joe DiMaggio teaching you to play the outfield? I, I got to tell you, every single time I go into Vuce's office and I see the picture of Joe DiMaggio, and, you know, because for me growing up, Joe D was a Yankee. You know, he's one of the biggest celebrities in America at the time and Marilyn Monroe and reading about him and seeing all that. Joe, just to think that you got Joe DiMaggio as your coach. I mean, it's just it, it's incredible to think of the greatness that you had around you that you were able to learn from. Uh, it really is. He was so in awe going to spring training, you know, and Joe Dean, like you said, the order around him and everything else. But he was a great guy. He was just he was he was just another player. I mean, once he got around the players, he was just one of the guys. He was a jokester and liked to screw around. And he was great. You know, he got very, uh, I guess you call him distance when he got around writers or people he didn't know. He was very cautious and guarded in that area. But with the players, he was just one of the guys. He'd go out there and yell at you and call you stupid and, you know, <laughs> you know where, where are you going? And, you know, I mean, it was just a, so much fun to work with him all the time. And, uh, you know, people don't realize back then, I, you know, ballplayers didn't make a lot of money. We had, uh, I remember 67, we had uh, Gabby Hartnett, who was a Hall, Hall of Fame catcher, is one of our coaches. Luke Appling, wow. Hall of Fame catcher from or shortstop from the White Sox, yes. was one of our coaches. Haywood Sullivan. Uh, you know, there was a lot of great coaches back then that stayed in the game. And uh, yeah. as you said, try, you know, learning from Joe D. I mean, who who else to teach all that stuff? Uh, uh, just a great guy. Joe, one of the things in, in watching the replay from your catch, uh, when you caught the ball, you put it in your right hand and you you, you raised it. Was there a concern that maybe – you didn't think that they thought you caught the ball. Well, we, I mean, I don't even know if it's a reaction, but why did you take the ball out and, and put it in your right hand and, and put it up and then throw it back in and almost double off? I think it was Tony Perez at first base. But, uh, you know, what what was behind that? Well, I think as I went back to catch the ball, is one of the things Joe D taught me was, you know, when you're going up against the hard wall, you know, we didn't have padding back in those days. Yeah. And as you go yeah. up to catch a ball, especially backhanded like that, or, or either way, especially backhanded, uh, you know, as you catch the ball and you bang into the wall, it's really easy for the wall to knock the ball out of your glove. So as you catch the ball, you rotate your hand. And hmm. so you hit the, hit the, the wall with the front of your glove, not, not the web back, backing of it. And so as I caught the ball down coming down, I'm afraid that they're thinking that I caught the ball on a rebound off the wall. And yeah. so that's one of the reasons I held the second uh, to show him I had the ball and then threw it in, you know, to, made a good throw to Campy and a good throw to first and just missed doubling him off first. But uh, that was my first thought. And of course, uh, Sparky Anderson came out and argued because of the, the, you know, the bang, the crash, you could hear me banging into the wall. Uh, he came out and argued that I had trapped the ball off the wall, but thank goodness, you know, in the World Series, you have six umpires, and we had the umpire down the left field line, so he saw how I, because he even put his hand up and showed him 
rotated his left hand like I did after I caught the ball. And, uh, you know, that was my first thing. My first influence in my, went through my brain was I hope they don't think I trapped the ball. That's, that's a great point. How, how was it playing the outfield with no padding compared to today when you see – I mean, everything's padded. It's almost uh, – I don't know if a player would play in the outfield without the padding. But how, how difficult was it for you as an outfielder to know that you needed to make a play like that and you, you obviously you knew the warning track, you had, what, three steps into the wall and you knew you were going to bang into it. How much of a concern was it for you as an outfielder knowing that there is no padding – and you are going to hit the wall hard, and it could affect you. Well, I, I think it's no different than you as a catcher going back to the screen. Some <laughs> of those things didn't have a lot of padding for you back there either. You know, you can't really think about it. I mean, you're totally focused on the ball, and you know you're going to hit the wall, and you just sort of prepare yourself to control the impact where it's not going to knock your glove out of out of a sort. I think the worst uh, bang or crash into the wall I ever had was in 73 against the Mets. And uh, I'm trying to remember who the hitter that hit that ball. You know, they had plexiglass in front of the uh, – right. the, they had the walls, but in front of the bullpens straightaway left behind me was all plexiglass. So there was no way you could see it out of the corner of your eye. And I think it was Cleon Jones hit, hit a rocket back there. I went back and caught the ball and didn't know I was right there at the wall because I had run quite a while. I hit that wall and it, I don't know if you remember, it spun me around in a, in a circle and knocked yeah. me down because uh, I didn't know the wall was there. And so that was the other thing, you know, your peripheral vision sort of helps you out to prepare that you're going to hit the wall. And uh, we just, it was, you know, accepted. Uh, we never thought about, well, it doesn't have padding or it does, uh, but I'm sure glad they do. <laughs> well, you know, just a quick point of reference. I know when you had Cespedes came from Cuba and played here and he kind of shied away. And uh, finally, uh, Ariel Prieto was his interpreter, and he told everybody they had concrete walls in Cuba. There was no such thing as padding. So there was a reason that he would shy away. But the, the, the one thing, Joe, today for the athletics and the White Sox, it's winner take all. And Cody Elias, of course, brought up the fact that 73 was the last time. It, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that what you said, Cody, the last time there was a winner take all for the athletics in, in uh, Game 7 of the World Series in 73? That's correct. Game seven of the 70, uh, 73 World Series was the last winner-take-all win for the uh, Oakland A's. Okay, I want to go right. back with yeah. Joe because, Joe, you were there with the A's in 72. You had a winner-take-all against the Tigers game five. At the time, the league championship series, unlike now, is seven. It was five during that period of time. You had that against the Tigers, and unfortunately, your good friend Reggie Jackson injured his hamstring, couldn't play in the World Series. But then also game seven against the, the Reds is a, what is a winner take all as well. And you guys won. How much did that help? Because I came over in 73 and, and thankfully I did because I got a chance to get two rings with you guys. But how much did what happened in 72 with the league championship series and the World Series help you going forward in 73 to experience the same thing? Well, I think, you know, we played that way all year. You know, it was a big difference of today's how the game's played. You know, we had Dick Williams, who was an extreme stickler for small ball. You know, he did, yeah. you just didn't make mental errors with him. And, you know, when you got uh, thrown the wrong base, uh, man on second base with nobody out, you got to get that guy to third. Uh, you know, there was no excuse for not getting him over there or hitting the fly ball for the runner from third, but 
with less than two outs and that type of thing. So we played an awful lot of games, you know, three to two, two to one, that were really tight games. Unfortunately, we had a very good defensive team, and uh, and just you know, getting used to playing that type of ball day in and day out. I think we were prepared to get into those type of games as we moved in. You know, '71 we were still a little bit young. That's swept by the uh, Baltimore in the playoffs and uh i I think uh he did a better job preparing us in 72 getting ready for that season and uh, it was a tough series with the tigers and of course first great team we just happened to have better pitching and got a little more timely hitting here and there and got some breaks uh as every team needs to to win and so all you can do is go out and do your best and uh you know it's going to (laughs) happen and so you uh, you got to be prepared for it Joe, one of the things that Dick Williams did in game seven, he put Dave Duncan behind the plate because he figured the Reds were going to be running. And Gino has always told me the best day in his life was when I got traded to Oakland in 73 because he didn't have to catch because he wanted to play first base and didn't want to have the bumps and bruises behind the plate. But but what did you see in game seven that basically you, you felt that you had a chance to win because of playing those close games? But some of the changes that were made by Dick Williams, I know he did it with me in 73, game six and seven. He had put Darren Johnson in at first base um, and, and Gino caught to start out. I ended up finishing the games, but the, the changes that had to be made and were made by Dick Williams during those, those couple of years, what did that say to you guys about how much he wanted to win? No, as I said, he was a stickler and, and, and you know, all those both those seasons that we were well, actually I got to play for him three years, 71, he was there. Right. Uh, you know, when he came, when he came over and joined the team in 71, you know, he just changed the whole mental attitude of that ball club. And uh, everybody started playing basic fundamental baseball and, uh, you know, coming into those series, like you said, I mean, you know, he was, a he studied things. He knew what was going on, you know, put Mike Egan at first base. Remember the great play he made over there. And uh, yeah. of course, Duncan had a, Duncan had a great arm. And uh, it was uh, just one of those things, you know, at times Dave struggled at, at the bat, as we all do, going in and out of times when we're struggling at, at hitting. And uh, so he, he, I thought he did a masterful job of moving people around, uh, you know, bringing catfish in to, to close the game, uh, you know, using <laughs> Raleigh at different times. And, and just the way he strategized using everybody. I mean, the whole 25-man roster, he, he used everybody. You know, the one thing, Joe, that, uh, as I mentioned before, your good friend Reggie Jackson injured his hamstring in uh, Detroit Game 5 of the League Championship Series and could not play. I can still visualize him on crutches in the World Series uh, when you guys went to Cincinnati. The A's lost Matt Chapman, platinum glove winner, you know, two consecutive years. How did you guys go into the World Series knowing that you did not have your big bat in the lineup but knowing that you still had a good team to win, but missing that link as the A's obviously are missing Matt Chapman. How did you guys handle the world series knowing that Reggie was not going to be there? Well, it was a big shock. You know, fortunately Reggie through his play, you know, actually scored the winning run to help us, you know, clinch the winning the the playoffs against the Tigers. That's how he got hurt was scoring that winning run. And, uh, you know, it was a tough play. Bill Freehan was a, a big guy who was their catcher and he was blocking the plate and uh and Reggie did a great job to get just to even score but 
you know, going forward, I, I think especially in 72, we were so happy as a team to be in the World Series. Uh, we didn't really have time to even think about we're going about against the big red machine. And uh, fortunately, uh, you know, they probably had a much better overall hitting team than we did, but we had the pitching and the defense. Yeah. We had a great defensive team and we had great pitching, great relief pitching. And uh, I think when we won the first game, hey, you know, we can win a game here. And then we win second game and go, whoa, uh, you know, maybe these guys, you know, maybe our pitching is that good, and which it did turn out to be. And we had tough games even out in Oakland. Uh, uh, those games were, were tough out there. They took two out of three from us. And then coming back, uh, we had to fly all night, got in there like I think about dawn in 72 because we had the rain out yeah. and so we had to, we didn't have a we didn't have a day off so we had to fly after the game friday all night get into cincinnati catch a couple hours sleep and go to the ballpark and i think everybody was sort of groggy I, i'm trying to remember but it seemed like almost every all the games were like three to two except that saturday game uh, trying to think maybe there's one uh, one to nothing game in there in oakland but we had a lot of really, you know, one-run games through that whole series. And uh, as, you know, people say, good pitching usually stops uh, good hitting. Yeah. And that's what happened for us. And I know today is going to be a tough game in Oakland. And uh, it's, you know, it's a battle. You know, it used to say you go home after every game, you got a severe headache just from concentrating so much. Because <laughs> every pitch, whether you're on defense or, or offense, you can't afford to take a pitch off. You know, you got to be locked in on every, especially on defense. You just can't afford to give up, and and you know, extra run here or there. And uh, pretty much that's what Dick Williams taught us to do, you know, all year long. So by the time we got into those playoffs, we were prepared mentally to play. Joe, before I let you go, and appreciate your time because uh, I, I, I wanted to ask you because of the COVID nineteen this year. The one thing that is missing, and, and obviously times have changed because of the analytics and a lot of things that go on, but in 1972, you guys were playing the Reds, and you had not seen them. How important, and, and explain the scouting report that you guys got. I saw, I saw what happened in 73 against the Dodgers when I was part of that, but, but how important was the scout, and I'd try, you know, you know his name, I can't remember his name. But talk about the importance of the scout telling you all the details of about the Cincinnati Reds that helped you guys beat them in the first of three consecutive World Series. Oh, it was phenomenal. I mean, like you said, we hadn't really faced them that much. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they still have the same thing today. We used to have what we call forward scouts that would be going to the team that you're going to play next and watching the pitchers, watching the hitters, you know, how's this guy handling whatever pitches. Uh, as a hitter and where to play him, where is he trying to hit the ball, uh, what pitchers are going to throw, what pitches in that situation. And I know when we uh, we got Cincinnati and, uh, you know, Dick Williams and the coaches obviously met, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember. I almost want to say Clyde Klutz, but I don't think that was him, uh, the guy that was Was it Lloyd Christopher? Oh, yeah. I don't remember the name now, but he did a phenomenal job. I mean, he gave a book literally to Dick Williams. If you watch the replays of the World Series, Dick was constantly pulling stuff out of his pocket. And he had like a book of information on every player, uh, where, where we should play the play, you know, defensively, where, where should we be playing on a defensive load? And, and then, uh, you know, went out, look at the number of times he went to the mound. 
And yeah. I think yeah. they finally came out with a rule about you can only go so many times without <laughs> taking the pitcher out. Was that because of Dick Williams in, in 72? But, um, it, it, I mean, it was critical. I really don't think we'd have won that World Series without that scouting report because it was so detailed uh, for everybody. I mean, he had stuff for us in the outfield, the infield, the pitchers, and what pitches the guys were hitting. I mean, it was to me, it was one of the best scouting reports I've ever seen. And you did it all for memory. You didn't have something in your back pocket that you referenced? Not really. You know, we, 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 we uh, not anymore. You know, back then we had to really memorize guys. And, uh, you know, That's one of the right. blessings that, that, that we had was, especially after Billy North came over, was, as you remember, you know, the guys like, you know, Tony Oliva, Rod Carew, George Brandt. I mean, the guys are, that are really good hitters, you know they're going to hit the ball. And we used to stack the defense it's a little bit like they do now in the infield. But, you know, back then we just, you know, say crew or, or Brett, you know, they're going to hit the ball where it's pitch. So let's throw them hard yeah. fastballs away. I'd play really shallow. Billy and, and Reggie would swing way over towards left field. And Reggie's in right center. Billy's in le left center. Ball's over my head. Billy's got it. But I took away yeah. a lot of hits that were line drives right over Campy's head, over Sal's head. Um, and uh, I didn't have to worry about behind me, but you know, you had to depend on the pitcher not to throw an off speed pitch, and the guy could pull it down the right field line. But I, if you remember those days, uh, that's pretty much the way Dick uh, taught us to play. Well, I'll close this in saying I know when I was fortunate to be traded over here, the first thing Dick Williams said to me, and you, you've talked about it throughout this, this time, he said, We pitch and we catch the ball, we don't give extra outs, and I'm sure that's what. You know, he brought it over from the Dodgers as he grew up in the Dodger organization. That's the way he was taught, and he brought it over. And I'm sure, just as you talked about, that's what his influence on you guys was, especially from 71, 72, when you had the first experience with him. I got to experience it in 73. But uh, Joe cannot thank you enough for your time. I know uh, Chris Townsend has constantly talked about one thing, making contact as a hitter. And I know that you – I think you could right now put a bat in your hand, and I've always said this, and go out and hit and hit line drives because you were that great of a hitter, and you still could be if you put a bat in your hand right now. So uh, continue enjoying the life in Florida. Our best to Sharon, and uh, God bless you, my friend. You're a good man, and I always look forward to seeing you hopefully sooner than later. I hope so. Get this virus over with. Again, our love to Carolyn. You guys stay healthy out there. And uh, we're all very blessed, weren't we? Just to be in the right place at oh. the right time. And a lot, of, a lot of things came together for us, didn't it? Well, it sure did. And there are only two teams in the history of baseball that have won three consecutive world championships. The New York Yankees, of course, and the Oakland Athletics. And I think, and Cody Elias is a great statistician, he knows, but I think the last time there were three 20-game winners on the same team was in 1973 with Catfish, Kenny Holtzman, and Vita Blue. So that's quite yeah. remarkable. You guys were tremendous. You've got three world championship rings. You deserved every one of them. And uh, to me, the most underrated player, but the greatest player that ever played left field for the athletics. So, again, appreciate your time, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> we had, Like you said, we had a great time. So good luck to the guys today, and uh, just hope we get the – the right bounces and the right breaks, correct? You got that right, Joe. Thank you, my friend. Okay, you guys have a good one. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. You're welcome. He's a great guy, Chris. I'm telling you, that's gold right there. That's absolutely – I could do this every day. 
<laughs> well, listen, that Joe Rudy, uh, to me, seriously, he was so laid back. I mean, I don't want to say laid back. He was a confident player. He, he looked like, and I don't want to degrade him because he was such a great player. And when I say laid back, it's like he didn't care. That's not true. But, but he, he played the game so well. And, and I think he said it best. When you have Joe DiMaggio as your outfield coach, <laughs> that says, and I mean, you, you remember the pictures of the coaching staff and the manager in the early yeah. 70s wearing white hats? They yeah. wore white hats. And I could still see Joe DiMaggio in his white cap white baseball cap uh, coaching and, and that picture you said of Steve Vucinich and the great Joe DiMaggio, but, but, but Joe Rudy, you know, he was clutch. Uh, the late Charlie Lau, if you notice his style of hitting very similar to that of George Brett hitting from the left side. Well, both of those guys were disciples of the great late Charlie Lau and the hitting uh, the, the, the type of hitting that Charlie Lau taught. And uh, listen, Joe Rudy, when I, I never forget whenever he hit the home run in 74 World Series against Mike Marshall, I, uh, I, I pulled it up and Kurt Gotti was saying, uh, Joe Rudy, you know, and there's a drive in left field. He hits a home run and Mike Marshall did not throw one pitch. He threw the first pitch during that delay because of the smoke bomb. He threw the first pitch fastball and Joe Rudy with that extreme close stance, I can still see it, hit a home run down the left field line, gone. And that was it. Matter of fact, I, it was just uh, Joe was just a tremendous player, but an even better, better person. Anyway, you've got the you got the general manager coming on, don't you guys? Yeah, and I will talk to you, Ray, in a little over an hour. Sounds good, buddy. And uh, Cody, continue great job, man. You you put the guests together. You're an amazing man, Commander Cody. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for helping out with Joe too. Okay, buddy. Talk to you guys soon. See ya. Bye bye now. That's amazing. That was great. That's <laughs> I was just. Hey, by the way, uh, how many votes do you think it took Joe DiMaggio to get into the Hall of Fame? Uh, well, I'm sure he. Well, he wasn't unanimous, so there was some guy that did. There was at least one guy that didn't vote for him. How many guys didn't vote for him? Do you have that up on Baseball Reference? Did, I, okay. First of all, by the way, I'm getting reaction from. Uh, from my friends on Twitter, uh, on not Twitter, on on my uh, on my phone, like my one buddy Chris, lifelong grew up. Joe Rudy was his favorite player. I'm telling you, this people are loving this. The Hawk yesterday, uh, Joe Rudy today, to have Ray Fossey and Joe Rudy, or have Ray Fossey and Ken Hawk Harrelson back to back days. Uh, Joe DiMaggio didn't get in until the third ballot, by the way. It took him three tries to get into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Shows you how ridiculous that is. Uh, it's time for the David Four Show. David, uh, how are you? I am wonderful, Chris. How are you? Great. We were just we just had Joe Rudy on, and we were talking with Joe about uh, about how Joe DiMaggio was his outfield coach. Can you imagine having a guy like Joe DiMaggio on your coaching staff? That sounds pretty cool. I know. Uh, I know we've got a couple of pictures of, of Joe downstairs in Booth's office from his time with the A's. Always, always cool to see him around. Yeah, and I, and, and and you know we're about the same age, and to think that you know we never got to see him play, but I mean, Mister Coffee and all the uh, all the endorsements that he had. He was just this larger, larger than life guy. Marilyn Monroe, the New York Yankees, and to think he was just an A's coach. <laughs> Just a couple of degrees of separation from Vince. 
Uh, a major decision, obviously, when you got to and, and, and can you help me out? I, I got these callers that don't understand. And, and I and I like to tell them, hey, listen, this is just not baseball. I learned my time covering the Warriors that from Bob Myers all the way down, you know, Steve Kerr, all the decisions made by the Warriors are done by the group. Joe Lacob and everybody, they make a decision as a group. For some reason, everybody still wants to think this is Earl Weaver, Tommy Lasorda, Sparky Anderson, and that the manager makes all of the decisions. Talk about how the decisions, the, the real important decisions that are made for this organization are done by the group. It's the front office and the coaching staff making these decisions. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality of, of, of any sport right now, I think. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the Warriors, but um, yeah, without, you know, without being in any other front office or, or you know having real intimate knowledge i mean that's that's the way it works these days and and bob has been a great collaborator and um yeah it's, it's actually a little surprising for me to hear that that people don't expect uh any decision you know no matter how little how big uh to be made by the, the whole organization that's you know we're here to support bob uh and and you know help him with the information and help him with the decisions and and he he provides uh perspective and input that we wouldn't otherwise have so that's why you have a front office and a manager and and not just one or the other and how important is it to bring in scott emerson into these decisions because nobody knows not only the players and their ability but also how they're doing mentally better than scott emerson for sure. And, and when I when I talk about Bob, I am, in effect, talking about the entire coaching staff. No one does a better job than Bob of, of feeling out his coaching staff and making sure he gets input from every angle. And whether it's Emo on the pitchers or, you know, Darren Bush on the hitters, Mark Kotze on whatever. I mean, Bob does a great job of, of taking all that input and, and factoring it into to his and our decisions. So you make the make the decision to start Mike Fires, and I know basically it's all hands on deck today. It's going to be like that for the White Sox. It's going to be like that for you. I mean, other than Chris Bassett, I got to think everybody is is available. Why did you decide to go with Mike Fires? There are a lot, you know, a lot of reasons. Um, you know, a lot of things went into this decision. Part of it is um, that, like you said, everybody is available it is all hands on deck and uh yeah fires is the guy starting the game but uh you got a chance to see just about everybody over the course of nine or more innings um but it just um you know a lot of things lined up for mike in terms of his uh his performance over the last month the way the white Sox lineup shakes out uh the way our matchups play out over the course of the game it just uh it worked out that that he's the guy out there to start the game have you guys just seen that the way they handle left-handed pitching, how much did that play into it? They just, I, I know the record 15 and 0, but just, you know, the splits, the whole deal, how much did that, that, that work into this decision? It, it's one of the factors. Um, you know, I can't say there's anything uh, in any decision where, you know, you rely solely on that one thing, uh, but that's part of it. Um you know, and, and, you know, we said from the beginning, I, I think our lefties are, are not the lefties they've seen. You know, they had never seen Jesus before. They won't, you know, only a handful of these guys have seen Sean. Um, we obviously were comfortable enough bringing Jake in to finish the game last night. So, um, yeah, those, those things are part of the equation. I wouldn't say that uh, any one thing makes a decision for you. 
I'm glad you brought up yesterday because that's another thing I think fans struggle with, but we see it all through baseball, is that in a high leverage situation, you know, the Rays did it in game one. They brought in their guy in the seventh. We saw last night with the Yankees, they brought in Chapman with two on and nobody out in the eighth. You brought in Liam yesterday, one on, nobody out in the eighth. That that in the postseason, it's different. Everybody feels you got to get your guy in in those top situations. Now, obviously, it didn't work out perfectly for you guys yesterday. It did for the Yankees. But talk about that strategy that it's just not the ninth inning, that there's crucial outs before the ninth inning, and that's when you feel you got to get your best guy out there. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I, I would disagree with one thing. It did work out for us yesterday because we won the game. True. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who enjoyed the last 15 minutes or so, but but we did win that game. So, look, there, there's no doubt. In the eighth inning, there are two, three, four guys coming up. That's the right spot for your best pitcher. I mean, that, it's as easy as that. Um, obviously, you know, Liam gives up the homer. Uh, doesn't have his best stuff. Doesn't have his best command. Maybe, you know, having three or four days off plays into that. Um, but, yeah, if you're, you know, you're looking at your best pitcher against their best hitters. That's absolutely the time for Liam to be in the game. You know, back in the day, Raleigh Fingers would have come in in the sixth or the seventh to finish the game out. Yes, you're right. He would have, yeah, he would have been uh, lobbying to come in earlier, and he would have let you know how, how far he can go. You know, Liam Hendricks has been on this show more than any other player, and we've got to know him real well. And obviously, he's a very special guy away from the field with everything that he does. And, and I know he threw 49 pitches, but as Liam says, he's a former starter. He, he would go every day. He would take the ball every day. So uh, some people have said, is he going to be available? I, I mean, I got I to gotta ask you. It's like no doubt he's going to be available, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Bob just spoke to the, the media a few minutes ago and said he's going to wait for Liam to play catch uh, to make that determination. Um, but you're right. His, his history would show he wants the ball. He wants to be out there. Uh, yeah, he does have a little different mentality. And you look back at Liam's, history with us i mean he is he's done everything he's served in every role he's you know he's had to pitch back to back as kind of the mop-up guy in the pen he's you know he's been the setup guy so uh it this you're not talking about a guy who you know spent his whole career as a one-inning closer and it doesn't have that experience so I, i'm not worried about liam are you surprised that in the american league you're the only series going three uh i fully expect complete chaos and randomness when it gets to this time of year. So no, so nothing surprises me. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like wild. Like, like were, were you able to pay attention to all the games yesterday? I mean, there was just, it was like chaos from the morning game. We had the record most strikeouts in a game. We, there was a tie for most walks in a game. It was baseball all day. And as you said, chaos all day. Yeah, we, we were able to follow most of the stuff. We've got a handful of TVs up here in the suite at the ballpark. So we kept kept all the other games on. And, uh, yeah, that, that Braves-Cardinals game seemed like it was going to go on forever. I, I'm not sure MLB could have put together a better ad campaign for having a runner on in the 10th inning uh, than that game provided. But, um, no, we, we kept track. Uh, hopefully it was a fun day for fans uh, having that. And you got, I guess, another five games today. You know, I think about how valuable Mark Canna has been for you, and we've we've nicknamed him Duct Tape because whatever Bob needs to fix, you can just put duct tape there, and he'll take care of it, whether it's center, right, left, first, DH. And then we're, we're, 
we just had Joe Rudy on, and we're talking about the great catch against the Cincinnati Reds in the 1972 World Series, and and that catch yesterday. I mean, that really was uh, you. There was multiple plays of the game, but you could call that the play of the game. Where who knows if he doesn't make that catch, what the outcome of the game is going to be. Just talk about how valuable Mark Canna has been for your roster. Yeah, I think Bassett had the the best quote yesterday. So they, you know that ultimately turned his entire start around so there's there's no way to overstate the importance of that catch and and pretty cool that it sort of evokes the memory of of joe rudy and you put those two still shots up next to each other and and kind of bridge the generation gap with a's fans but um but yeah mark finds a way to put himself in the middle of it even when when he's not swinging great you know, he does something on defense or, you know, for so long this season, he was the guy with the best quality of bats and the guy you wanted up the plate. So, um, no, it's been a great story. Mark's time with the A's and uh, he continues to find a way to, to get in the middle of things. And Chris Bassett, and I'm not trying to be a homer here, but I don't know if there's anybody in the American League who is throwing the ball better as a starter than Chris Bassett. Just talk about what he's become for your staff. Well, his numbers speak for themselves over, you know, the last month plus. I mean, you know, th- his 2019 season really went under the radar, but uh, Chris was Chris was a quality starter 30 times last year. And uh, we knew coming in this year he was part of the rotation. And I don't quite know that we expected him to step up the way he did over the last month, but, um, but he pitched well enough that he was a no-brainer to pitch one of the first two games of the series, and he went out there yesterday and showed why. Well, you have the famous quote on this show, ball goes far, team goes far. How great was it to see Chris Davis go yard and Marcus Simeon yesterday? Yeah, well, just, just to, for the record, I, I stole that line from Joe Sheehan, but, uh, but it applies, and, uh, and hitting homers is, I've always said hitting homers is good. So uh, it's nice. It's nice to see the ball leave the yard. That was a great swing by Marcus um, at a time when he really needed it. And and obviously uh, you see the effect on the rest of the group anytime Chris Chris hits the ball out of the yard. So it was good to see. You know, I I think people forget and we try to remind them that uh, the other team gets paid, too. And as of like September 18th. The White Sox were the number one seed in the American League, and they kind of faltered down the stretch. But you're playing a very good team with a terrific lineup. No doubt. No doubt. It is a really good group, and they've done a great job putting that team together. And, uh, you know, some some trades, some great signings uh, with, obviously, Luis Roberts and uh, keeping Abreu when, when some people weren't sure they were going to keep him past his last contract. But, yeah, they, it's a good team, no doubt. And, and you know, their their bullpen really hasn't come into play a lot just because of how well Giolito pitched the first night. But this is a really good group down there, too. I'm guessing we're going to see the majority of it today. So uh, we got our work cut out for us because, like you said, they get paid, too. So we're all invested in this. And I'm thinking about yesterday. I couldn't keep score anymore. Next thing you know, I'm swinging a golf club. I'm starting to chip balls. I can barely watch. I'm thinking about how I feel at the end of that game. What's it like for you at the end of that game? That one was exhausting yesterday. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, luckily we've got, we've got our whole baseball operations group on, up here uh, to sort of provide support for one another. We're, we're in separate suites, but we can see each other through the windows up here. So it's nice to have other people to, to go through it with rather than just being on your own. And, 
um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's always the thing about this, this gig is that once the game starts, uh, we don't have any control. And that is a, that's an awful feeling. I, I, you know, think back 20 plus years ago about, you know, when you, when we were on the field and you had, you had control over it and you, that's why you, those guys down there don't get nervous because they can do something about it. But sitting up here, it's, uh, it's tough to go through those. I'm just, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Yeah, because it's like it, it, it's your baby, but you can't parent it once the game starts. Yeah, that's a tough analogy, but yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's like it's like you've built it, you've created it, but yet it's it, I, I can't imagine because it is totally out of your control. It is, it is. So you get you get used to that over time, and you uh, you trust you trust the guys between the lines to do what you hope they they can. Do you ever wish it was like the old days, like Al Davis, and he could get on the phone and call down to the sidelines? No, I think we're all better off for that not being possible. <laughs> <laughs> all right, David, uh, you know, congratulations on everything that's happened. And it's it, it's a, I, you know, in the end, let's end on this. I'm just happy we have this. I'm just happy we're at this point. I agree. We're, we're fortunate to have this opportunity. Guys who played yesterday put us here. Uh, and they've got a shot now to uh, to help us advance. So looking forward to uh, to noon. Good luck uh, today, David. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Chris. The David Force Show right here on A's Cast Live and A's Cast. Can you imagine that? You build something, and then once it's go time, you've got zero control. You, you can't field for them. You can't hit for them. And that, that's the whole thing when people call the clubhouse show and they, they want to get after coaches and they want to get after Bob and they want to get after – it's the players who play. I mean, if anybody has ever played sports, yes, you want your coaches to put you in the best scenario to help you be successful, but it's on you as a player. I mean, it's on you – the coaches can only do so much. You're the person that's got to swing it. It's like kind of what, and, and to, to go to another sport, it's kind of what they're talking about in golf now, that some of these younger players are so reliant on their uh, coaches that once they start teeing it up, that they can't fix themselves. You got to be able to fix yourself inside the game. You can't always rely, and to use the analogy of golf back to baseball, so many of these guys, I don't want to say got addicted, but they rely so much on video. Man, when, when the game's going, you got to be able to be successful without all this other stuff. you got to take care of yourself without coaching, without video, with, with, without all that other stuff. Inside the game, you've got to be able to perform and make adjustments on your own. You're so reliant on video and coaching. Eh, you got to be able to, you got to be able, you know, sometimes when you're in that bullpen and you don't throw a very good bullpen, doesn't mean you can't go out there and have a good outing. Life and sports is about making adjustments. And the great ones do that. And today is a day that, you know, this is about pressure. How do you handle pressure? How do you stay in the moment, stay relaxed, and deal with the pressure? There's no fans there. 
So that probably helps out the Chicago White Sox. But how do you perform with the brightest lights on you? That's how your career is defined. That's how teams are defined. And A's teams in the past, recently, in the last 20 years, haven't been able to really get past this hurdle. If this team, Cody, today gets past this hurdle, look out. Because Chris Bassett has admitted in the postgame show yesterday and today on A's Cast Live that they had been feeling it. They knew it. Well, they got past it yesterday. Get past it today. Clear heads. Who knows what the kind of talent that they have. And Chris Davis is in the lineup again today. He had a, That home run he hit yesterday was impressive. And I, I, I brought it up yesterday. He had three hits against Dallas Keuchel. He was only hitting 111 against Keuchel, but the first ball he hit, he smoked, but it was, you know, obviously it was an out, and then he hits the home run. So he now has four career hits against Dallas Keuchel and all four extra base hits, two homers, two doubles. So they get past this. They can win their first winner-take-all uh, elimination game, the winner-take-all game, first time since 1973, Game 7 of the World Series against the Mets was the last time they did it. They ended the string of the losing and elimination games yesterday. Uh, so now the active the active streak leaders are still the Cleveland Indians and the Minnesota Twins, who've lost ten and nine games respectively in elimination games. So, but if they they get on, you're, and then you move on, you're going to play a team you played what nine? Is it nine times this year they played the Astros or ten? I can't remember. But you played a team three different occasions this year, so that's who you're going to see next. So get through this series. Get through Dane Dunning. Now, Dane Dunning, I, I got some more stuff on Dane Dunning, the starter today for the White Sox. In his seven starts, the White Sox are 6-1, and one, but he's allowed eight earned runs in his last seven innings, covering two starts against Cleveland and, and, and the Cubs. Four of the five versus the Cubs came via Chris Bryant Grand Slam. So he's 2-0 and oh on the year with a 3-9-7 ERA, 35 Ks in 34 innings. I wouldn't be surprised if Dylan Cease comes in to pitch after him. And they're all hands on deck because Bob even said earlier, I read some stuff on Twitter that, as David mentioned, um, Frankie Montas is available out of the bullpen today. So you'll see you'll they're all hands on deck, it sounds like. Hopefully we'll get to see Liam pitch uh, in, a, in a crucial situation, which will be good. And they, they move on to the next series because Mike Fires is on the mound. And I, and I mentioned how well he's done against this, this current, not all of the – White Sox players, but he is 4-0 in his career with a 1.58 ERA, 44 Ks, two homers, and 51 in the third innings versus the White Sox. He was 2-0 last year and two starts versus them. So the only guy that has any success against him is Tim Anderson, who hits 462 with one home run. The rest of the guys, that, you know, a couple of them have home runs, but they're all hitting uh, under, like, 220. So it's a big game today. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I got this number here. Fires is 4-0 with a 1.67 ERA and his last six starts against the White Sox, dating back to 2016, and he hasn't allowed a run to the White Sox in the last 14 and two. Thir- it doesn't matter. <laughs> None of that. Well, if you're looking at something, uh, the deck, I can't remember. Did, it was 13 innings for that that uh, Braves-Reds game was an ended, right? Was it ended 13 or 12? I don't know. It either, went forever. Either way, no run. Either way, it's bottom four. No score in that game. So the Reds have gone, I think it's 17 consecutive innings without scoring a run in the postseason. And How about my man Bauer yesterday? Bauer power, baby. Seven and two-thirds, 12 strikeouts, no runs. Uh, he was awesome. 
uh, again. And he, he was doing, and as they, as they took him out, he was coming off the field doing the tomahawk chop. <laughs> of course he was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I love the guy. I, I can't tell you. I mean, he would have been a great A. Uh, you know what? He's A. If he's true to his word and he's going to only sign a one-year deal, why not Oakland? I, I know we got a lot more to deal with, but why not Bauer for one with this team, with this core that's built to win now, and you got Chris Bassett emerging as a terrific pitcher. We believe Jesus Lazardo is going to be great. He's not great yet. And I've even had people on Twitter going, Townsend, pump the brake. All I'm telling you is he's young. He's going to be great. We believe that. I just for some reason, people in our in our little A's media have overblown it a little bit. But he's going to be great. And you throw Bauer in there? Can you imagine that? I mean, hey, would you take a, three whore, a three-headed monster of Bauer, ba- uh, Bassett, and Lazardo? That's pretty solid. It's pretty formidable. Uh, look, and then you got Mania. I don't. I mean, I don't. I, I. I'm not. I don't think Fires will be back next year. But. I mean, and then you got all these young guys, whether, I mean, who's going to be, who's going to be the guy, Caprellian, Jeffries, Holmes, whoever. I mean, bring Bauer in for a year and then we could have the, we could have the weekly Bauer show. How the, good would that be? The, the Bauer hour. Uh, Bauer, one, be so good. And one other thing uh, around the Major League Baseball playoffs, no Cubs Marlins today postponed due to rain rescheduled for tomorrow. So the Cubs, which we'll be talking to Jesse Rogers hey, here. By the way, postponement of rain, we will take that. Yeah. <laughs> After yeah. what we've dealt with postponements. Yeah, that's true. Uh, 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 that is a good sign. When you see postponement and it's rain, it's just water. <laughs> that is a good sign for Major League Baseball. Yeah, so the games are scheduled for tomorrow. It, it could potentially be the only game on the schedule because uh, it, with with if the Dodgers – and the Braves and the Cardinals win today, there'll be no games. That, it'll be literally the only game being played tomorrow with the Cubs uh, facing elimination. Now, the Marlins won't have Starling Marte, which hurts. But I, I want to see what the uh, what the excuse is if they lose that series because you can't blame Steve Bartman against the Marlins this time because he's not at the ballpark. He's there. Bartman? Yeah. Oh, his cutouts there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got a cutout there. He's He's in spirit. That poor guy. Hey, 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 hey. The reality is, after that happened, Mark Pryor didn't need to give it up after that. He could have still made good pitches, and they still could have won. By the way, they could have won uh, the game seven that they lost also. So, yeah, you're right about what happened to him. Hey, Marlins have never lost a playoff series. They're the only organization in professional sports in the United States of America. I don't know about any new soccer team, so they're out of this. They've never lost a playoff series. And every time they make the playoffs, they win the World they Series. <laughs> They're two for two. They get in, they win. Can you imagine if the Marlins won the World Series? They were three for three. Uh, well, well, they shouldn't even been. They it, this season doesn't count. It, they're not real world champions. Hey, if you want to say that it doesn't count, and everyone's complaining about the under five hundred teams. The Astros has eliminated the uh, the Twins, and they were under 500 to get into the postseason. What's so. going to happen when baseball announces this is how it's going to go going forward? How do you think – I mean, people are going to have to really make an adjustment. 
It's going to be tough for people. Yeah, there's not going to be a lot of people happy about what's going no, on. No, no, the majority of people will be happy because watch the television ratings. The fans will be happy. The people who actually pay to watch the sport versus the people who get paid to cover the sport, the people who actually pay to watch the sport will like it. This is going to be the future. Is it eight teams in each? I don't know. I do like the Joel Sherman, the seven. We kind of went over that yesterday. Um, and maybe we'll go over it again. Jesse Rogers from ESPN, and he also covers the Cubs, will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Jesse Rogers from ESPN, and he also covers the Chicago Cubs, is going to join us here in moments. Uh, are you ready for some numbers on Mike Fires, Commander? Let's hear them. Mike Fires' record as a starting pitcher for the Oakland A's is 26 and 9. The A's record when Mike Fires starts a game is 38 and 15. Mike Fires, as a starter at the Oakland Coliseum, is fourteen and two. It's pretty impressive. That? That's pretty impressive. I think when push came to shove, you take those numbers, and then you take the number of fifteen and zero. The White Sox versus left-handed starting pitching. Kind of became a no-brainer. I don't know what the discussion was like between everybody in the room, but I don't know how you'd answer the questions if you sent Sean Manaya out there and you lost again and that number goes 15 to 16 and 0. And we know that the and we know that the White Sox struggle versus right-handed pitching this year. They were 21 and 25 coming into yesterday's start against the White Sox or against the A's, and they lost against them. They're now 21 and 26. And now, and we went over the numbers of Fires has against the White Sox. I know it's just essentially small sample size because not all of those guys faced Fires last year, the two times he started against the White Sox. But you got to have a lot of confidence seeing that, one, he's finally getting a postseason start, and two, the success he has had at the Coliseum and against the White Sox. So. I'm just glad to see he finally he's finally getting his chance to pitch in the postseason for the for the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, and no matter what happens, I'll wear it in the postgame show, but this is what I wanted. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter. I don't have I I have no juice. No one's asking me my opinion uh from the organization. It's just I, I think he's earned it. And I'm willing to go forward. Or go down with Mike Fires. I'm calling and Jesse I, right now, by the way. Yeah, and I saw, and, and, and not totally fair, but I saw what happened last year. Hello. Jesse, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you this. Whenever I hear the word postponement, obviously it was a very bad thing this year. 
But when I hear postponement in Chicago and it's just rain, I'm like, whoo, thank God. Well, when you hear postponement in Marlins, you worry this year, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, just rain. But even though it's not raining right now, kind of a weird uh, postponement, I guess. Um, forecast looks bad, but but certainly could have started this game, maybe get, maybe get five innings. And in. I don't know. Um, but whatever. They decided to do it before the rain came. And so we'll play this thing tomorrow. But luckily not COVID-related. Yeah, thank God. Uh, Marte, what is the story with him in the break? Yeah, I mean, it's good news for the Marlins. He's going to return at some point here, maybe as soon as tomorrow, for all I know, maybe Saturday. It's all about the swelling. It's not a a terrible, you know, like I can't play for the rest of the month or anything like that. So it's just about the swelling going down. So the extra day here will help. But he's not out for the entire playoffs or anything. Now, how how he can produce through this this little fracture is is unknown, obviously. But um, it's more about squeezing the bat than putting on the glove. So uh, if he doesn't bat tomorrow, he might be able to um, at least play the field a little bit, pinch run. So it, it's a short-term thing. But, of course, in a best of three, if he misses in a game or, or two, you, you know, uh, that, that could hurt the Marlins for sure. Are you surprised or not surprised that today the A's and the White Sox in the American League, only one of the four series is actually going three games? I mean, sure, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, when you, your backs are against the wall, you pull out, of the, pull out all the stops. But, look, anybody can win two in a row, right? So it's just think about a three-game series. Sometimes you win the first two, and uh, you win the series that way. Sometimes you split the first two. So, I mean, it's, it was a completely unpredictable situation. But, look, it's not surprising that the, that the two teams that are great against left-handed pitching won their games when uh, the, uh, the uh, you know, lefty was on the mound for the opponent. So it makes sense. Now today it's two righties. We'll see how we'll see who comes out on top. Yeah, it was, you know, for the A's, we were talking about, I mean, if you're really going to go Manaya against a team that's 15 and 0 against left-handed pitching, I don't care how you feel about your left-handed pitching. There's something about the White Sox that they have ultimate confidence against a left-handed pitcher and boy confidence goes a long way. So Mike fires getting the ball for the A's lifetime 14 and two at, at the Coliseum as an A starter and talk about Dunning. Who's going to be going and the rookie who's going to be going for the White Sox today. Yeah, obviously just like Giolito, it's, 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 it's nicer to be on the road without fans in the stands. Obviously he's not as good a pitcher as Dan, as Lucas Giolito. Um, sinker baller, sinker slider, change of curve, you know, your, your classic four, but he'll rely on that sinker. Um, good, good pitcher, good pitcher for, for his age. Uh, I don't know how long that leash is going to be. They have some really good bullpen arms. Crochet throws a hundred miles an hour. You can get two good innings out of him. So it'll be a short leash. I imagine with Dane Dunning, but this is not just, you know, just some guy you pulled off the street pitching a game three in the playoffs. He's a, he's a good arm, good prospect. Uh, but I, I knew I know it'll be a short leash. If that sticker's working, though, you'll see a lot of ground balls. And just uh, the decision to go with Fires versus the left-hander against the White Sox, who just maul left-handed pitching. Yeah, I mean that's a no-brainer to me. You would I wouldn't even chance that this side of Co- Sandy Koufax. You know, fifteen and zero is a nice sample size. You know, if it was three and zero, four and zero, six and one, that's one thing. Fifteen and zero when a lefty starts, you're really going against uh, the baseball gods if you started a lefty. And it's not like Mike Fires is a pushover. 14-2, and two, as you mentioned, has playoff experience. 
Um, it's to me, it's the easy decision. I've watched the White Sox, smash against lefties, good ones, bad ones, all year long. Saw what they did against um, Lazardo the other day. It, it just it, it, to me, it's an easy decision. You know, when you think about the playoffs and this just two out of three, how crazy it can be. Uh, you look at two franchises and you just continue to see playoff misery, 18 straight losses for the twins. Indians can't get over. I mean, some of these fan bases, I know the A's, you know, we've had our problems, nine straight winner take all losses, but you just think about in Cleveland and Minnesota right now, heading into a long, cold off season with these brutal losing streaks. Yeah, Cleveland, look, they had their run. They, they were a better team in 16 and 17 when they had a more complete team. This year was mostly about their pitching. I, I didn't think they could really go far just with a couple, three pitchers um, and Jose Ramirez or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just not a complete team. So that doesn't surprise me. They're sort of at the end of a run. Now, Minnesota is at the beginning of a run, they hope, and they had a pretty complete team. So that one against the Nationals team that was banged up, rookie pitchers all over the place in the bullpen don't have Verlander. That one is surprising to me, obviously in, in one sense, two out of three, you know, you lose two straight, not that can happen to anybody, but to lose it at home and keep that streak going is, is a surprise. And the A's will be a surprise if they lose today. I mean, the White Sox are going to have their run, right? This is just the beginning of a run. They're ahead of schedule. Um, you can't lose to two rookie pitchers, right? Um, rookie playoff pitchers, Giolito, obviously a couple years in the league at home. You can't lose those two games. So to me, this is this is really the A's and the Twins coming up short if they lose these games in heartbreaking situations uh, with veteran teams that should be a little bit further along than than the team than the team they were playing. Right? It's like the Astros had their run, the, the Indians had their run. The Astros should be on the other side of it a little bit with the with the with the roster they have. No Garrett Cole, no Verlander. The A's are, you know, in the middle of their run or whatever you want to call it. The White Sox are at the beginning of it. So that's kind of how I look at it. Like, the A's need to win this game. Let's face it. They need to win this game. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I don't want to be a homer here, but A's win. This sets up in the American League, I think, two series. Because you know A's hate the Astros. And the Astros know the A's hate the Astros. It's so compelling. You know, this is not a rivalry built on, oh, Houston and Oakland and all that. No, this is truly this group of players can't stand that group of players. And then I think Yankees, Rays, we know they don't like each other either. These series could be so compelling. No doubt. Because of the divisional situation this year, the 10 games within the division, added on to the historical rivalries because they're in the same division. It's great. It's great. It's like if the Cubs advance here in Chicago and we're able to play a, a, another divisional team, there's four NL central teams in it. They may all be out in a day. Who knows? Um, it'd be like the Cubs playing the Cardinals, Astros playing the A's, Yankees playing the Rays. All that is compelling because of those divisional rivalries that were accentuated this year with the, with the 10 games in the division. Now with the Astros, everyone hates them and especially the teams in the division. So yes, it's going to be compelling if the A's can get past the White Sox. Well, and I think about the Cardinals and everything they went through with all the double headers and because of COVID-19 and then to have the Padres who actually, they really felt like they had a chance, but Lamette and Clevenger being out, it's like, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's got to be such a kick in the gut, and they lost yesterday to the Cardinals at home. Yeah, and they gave up a bunch of runs. There's no doubt. I mean, Chris Paddock is a nice number three, 
but he's not a number one in that rotation. So it, it's a big kick in the gut. And maybe if they somehow win these next two, they'll, they'll get their pitchers back. Although I might doubt about Clevenger from what I understand. Um, but it, I don't, I don't, I don't think the Padres are going to survive this. You can't lose your top two pitchers and expect to win a short series. In my opinion, they're already down a game. Uh, looking at the Dodgers, I just, I mean, the Brewers, they are what they are. Do you, do you see anybody in the national league really standing up to the Dodgers, especially if they get this two out of three. And now we go to longer series where they're and playing every day. It's about your entire roster. And do you see anybody's roster matching up against theirs? No, I did in March. I did in March. I thought the Reds, that sexy pick back then, could give them a run. But I don't believe in the Reds anymore, and as evidence what's going on with them. They, they, just Something's missing, even though they have good names on paper and they can pitch a little bit in the rotation. They're missing something. There's no way that Dodger mojo is going to succumb to the Reds if somehow they met. But I, don't, I don't think the Reds are going to win today. The Braves, normally I would, but they don't have enough pitching right now. Um, but if, if that was a full Braves roster with Soroka there, I would give the Braves a chance. I really like everything about them. I liked a lot about them last year, and they, and they went pretty far. So, no, not, not this year. Um, the Marlins are a scrappy team, but they can't beat the Dodgers either in any sort of longer series. So um, I, I really don't see anybody beating them. Hey, let's end on this. Isn't it crazy still? The Marlins have been to the playoffs twice, and they've never lost a series, including the World Series. Yeah, and they're probably not going to lose this one up a game now and uh, a little mojo. I mean, they, 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 they come to fight. I mean, whoever they play next round, I think they're going to give them a battle. They may cut, they're eventually going to come up short, but man, what a year they've had, just like the Cardinals, the COVID and, uh, but, but the Marlins just fight, man. They, they were down one, nothing to one of the best pitchers in the league. They didn't blink yesterday, hit two homers um, off the, basically the two best pitchers on the Cubs staff, other than Darvish Hendricks and Jeremy Jeffress. And uh, they go on to win that game. We'll find out if they sweep or, or this goes to three tomorrow. You know, we, we just said this earlier with David Forrest, our general manager on the David Forrest show. You know, in the end, I mean, we're all just happy we're here, right? We're just happy that we're playing. After what happened with the Marlins, after what happened, happened to the Cardinals, it's now happening in the NFL. Just the fact that we're playing. I'm with you, man. I mean, we have people thinking there'd be no chance, right? especially with the two outbreaks. But since then, things have locked down. I think sports leagues, you know, needed a little time. Baseball was a guinea pig a little bit because they weren't in a bubble. And I think teams have figured out what to do. We'll get past the Titans thing and just move on. Also, fortunately, everyone is young and good. You know, no one's gone to the hospital or anything in terms of uh, having to stay at the hospital, I guess. So, like, if one guy was on a ventilator, one out, you know, we'd start to second guess all this. But uh, luckily, everyone that's gotten it has recovered and, and uh, the sports leagues have kind of buttoned down how to handle this thing, and they, things have gone pretty well. Jesse, good stuff as always. We love having you on the program. Stay dry there in Chicago, and we'll talk to you later on during the playoffs, and we'll be following you on Twitter. You got it. Take care. Jesse Rogers from ESPN, at Jesse Rogers ESPN on Twitter. And they are not going to be playing baseball in Chicago today, but that's okay. It's because of rain, not COVID. We've had our first NFL game canceled. I think everybody is, you know, how's this going to go with the NFL? I think everybody's a little bit worried. By the way, we're in the bottom of the fifth inning, and it's scoreless Reds and Braves. 
19 consecutive scoreless postseason innings for the Cincinnati Reds. That's dating back to 2013, according to Bob Nightingale on Twitter. So 19 consecutive innings without scoring a run for the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, that's not that's not very good. Well, pitching, pitching, pitching. You know, everybody goes, oh, hey, listen, you got to score a run. You know, some series you're not going to score a lot of runs. You got to win one nothing. You got to win 2-1. That's just the deal. What you can't do is give up runs early and get behind. Can you come back? Of course you can. Certain teams are really good at that in the postseason. A's are, you know, as they say, oh, this is a good comeback team in the regular season. How about the postseason? And the A's are 10 for 61. That's an average of 164. Two walks, a 190 on base percentage in the series, and just one for seven with scoring position with runners in scoring position. You know what? I'm tired of talking about that kind of stuff. As the great Al Davis once said, just win, baby. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you do it. Just win. I don't care who has to pitch. And David was right, by the way, when I said, well, it didn't work out with Hendricks. Well, they won the game. Fan base, we've got to get used to closers are going to come in before the ninth inning. It's happening all over, so don't think that that's a mistake. It's whether your guy gets the job done or not. Tampa got the job done. New York got the job done. Yesterday, eh, but you still won the game. And there's no way, I mean, I I will be the first one to be the most shocked person ever if you're going to tell me Liam Hendricks can't go today. Yeah, I've been monitoring Twitter to see what they say. I haven't seen anything exactly just yet on that. And well, I don't know how you're going to know because he's going to play catch, and then he's going to tell Bob he can go. How would the media know? Yeah, and we're still waiting Unless for the. They get something to Fernando and tell hey, tell everybody. But you know what? If I'm Bob, do I want people to know whether he can go or not? Probably not. Exactly. The it's ten. What is it? it's ten forty seven, and we still don't have a White Sox lineup. Uh, it's it's related to Eloy Jimenez, their uh, star left fielder, because they're waiting to see if he can play through the injury and make back you know come back in the lineup today. So hopefully we'll get that White Sox lineup eventually. But uh, when you were talking about Liam and, and these guys pitching later in games, I just went back and looked because I love we love doing this. Raleigh fingers. In uh, 72, 73, and 74, the years they won the World Series. In 1972, Raleigh appeared in 37 games where he had to get more than three outs. 1973, he he appeared in 39 games where he had to get three or more outs. And in 1974, he appeared in 38 games where he had to get more than three outs. The most he ever had, 1976, at the age of 29 with the A's, he appeared in... 48 games where he had to get more than three outs. Um, that will never happen again, probably, in Major League Baseball. Well, at least anytime soon. Josh Hader comes close, but even he can't come in every game for the Brewers, especially right now. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. 
all hands on deck. You lose, you got all off-season to rest. All off-season. Liam Hendricks, good to go. I'm going to be shocked if he can't go today. We started this season with 30 teams. 60 games in 67 days. 14 teams were eliminated. And after two days, we've sent home how many teams? The Jays, the Twins, the Indians. And more teams could be going home today. And let's just hope the A's are not one of them. If they can get this game today, boy, does that open up the floodgates. Especially mentally for this team and this franchise that's had issues with these elimination games and issues with the winner-take-all games. Are you ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, you're right. It's uh, win the day, win the day, as they say. Is a, is a common phrase that people use pretty much anytime anymore, and especially for someone like me who's very mindful that winning the day is big. So this is something that a lot of people were complaining about on Twitter yesterday, and you and I talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to bring it up here. During yesterday's game versus the White Sox, Mark Canna was mic'd up in the fourth inning. Now, that was with Dave Fleming and Jessica Mendoza who were interviewing him on defense after his at-bat in the third inning. They failed to ask him about the catch in, in uh, left field. Or when he, he kept rub, like rubbing and you know messing with his shoulder. They, they didn't ask him about his shoulder during the interview. But a lot of fans on Twitter were not fans of the decision during a postseason game to interview Mark Hanna. Uh, Mark Hanna's wife had a tweet up saying how she was pretty nervous during the whole interview. But I saw Lucas Giolito was mic'd up later in the game. Obviously, he wasn't pitching, but he was mic'd up in the game. The Twins had Nelson Cruz mic'd up during the game for like 10 minutes. Uh, from what I read, in their loss to the Astros. And then Justin Turner, although it was kind of a disaster because his mic kept going in and out, was mic'd up for Dodgers Braves or Dodgers Brewers last night on ESPN. Buying or selling players mic'd up during the postseason? I have, I'm buying it. I think it's great for the sport. Couldn't agree with you more. A- anything to get our sport rolling once again. And get it back, you know, get it back to where it's fun, it's hip, people want to watch it more. I, I I can tell you, I live across from three Little League fields, right? Mark Canna grew up playing Little League right across from my house. I mean, there's a lot of kids who are into Little League and want to play baseball. Less kids are playing football. Strike while the iron is hot. Make baseball cool. You got so many... Uh, young players that are exciting and they're fun. Did you see yesterday when the Cubs hit a home run, how the uh, Cubs bullpen, they all had like fake musical instruments. Make this game fun, man. Get rid of the old curmudgeons. Get rid of that crap. Let's make this fun. Why is the NFL fun? Guys are having fun. You know, even though some people don't like it, but a guy catches it and he goes for 12 yards, he gets up first down. I mean, have some fun. Do some dancing. I love when the Padres are dancing in the dugout with Tatis and what all the antics that guys are doing now. It's fun. Make the game fun. 
completely agree. Yeah, that, that was well said. I don't need to go any further. I think that's the right thing to say. So the Red Sox made some news over the past weekend. They let go of Ron Renneke, who took over for the fired Alex Cora before the 2020 season began. Well, it was a disastrous 2020 season. They went 24-36, and 36, and they're now looking for another manager. Buster Olney, friend of the program, wrote an article about the Red Sox saying how they, uh, they would be foolish not to bring back Alex Cora next season. Now, this is a quote from CBO Heim Bloom. That's Chief Baseball Officer. I still don't I still don't really want to get into any detail on my thoughts on Alex. I don't want to say anything about Alex that I haven't already said to Alex, and obviously I haven't spoken to Alex, so there will be a time when I can get into more detail on Alex and his situation and my thoughts on it, but that time isn't now. So I'm hoping every I'm hoping everybody will respect that. Buying or selling Alex Cora will be the manager of the Boston Red Sox in 2021. Can you really fire a guy? He gets suspended, and you go through just one shortened season. When's the suspension over? I want to say it's after the. Is that for the postseason ends? I think like that's. I think that's what Hinch's was. I think it was after the postseason. And then you just immediately sign him up again. It's interesting. Makes you think. Let me ask you. Is he really that good? I mean, is he really? I mean, is he Bill Walsh? Is he Bill Belichick? You know, where they talk about these guys totally change everything and you win because of their leadership and how they set everything up and also how they do with player personnel. Is he really that good? They won 108 games in 2018. Now they were accused of cheating. But they won 108 they games. Cheat. They did cheat again. Yeah, this wasn't as severe as the Astros, but they, I know he's very highly regarded. I, I always liked him on TV when he did baseball tonight. I think he knows baseball very well. He seems to be really well respected in, in all the baseball circles. I mean, I don't know how people feel about him now, but it seems like the, uh, a lot of people think that he's going to go back to Boston, which, I mean, we kind of joked about that. You're going to fire him and then bring him back again because we talked about how A.J. Hinch could potentially manage the the Tigers next year because they're looking for a manager. So nothing would really surprise me, especially in Boston with what they do. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if Alex Cora is the manager of the Red Sox again next season. I'm going to sell. I just, I, I just, I, I just think it's a really, it, 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 it's, I mean, you're going to have to deal with the PR there. I, I mean, the, the Red Sox aren't winning anytime soon. That's a fact. They, they are going into a – they don't want to call it a rebuild, but you didn't hire Hein Bloom unless you wanted to turn them into the Boston Rays. So I think there's kind of – I mean, I just – I don't I, – I, I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting, but I, I still think he's – he'll be one of the finalists. I don't know why. I just feel like he, he will be. All right, so I'll try to get to these two quickly. It happened again yesterday. The Twins lost another playoff game. That's 18 straight losses for the Twin Cities. During that span, the Houston Astros have won 43 playoff games since they last won one, uh, which was back in 2002. Now, Shane Bieber won four and two-thirds in game one for the Indians, along seven runs uh, in that game. He had a 1.63 ERA coming into that start. He's never allowed more than seven earned runs in any month this season. 
when he gave then he gave up seven in the start against the Yankees and he only got 14 outs. And that game Garrett Cole was great, so we know that. But the Indians have now lost 10 straight elimination games since 1997, and the Twins have lost nine elimination games since 2002. Buying or selling the Minnesota Twins and Cleveland Indians are cursed. But you got to have a name <laughs> for it to be a curse. It's got to be the curse of the Bambino. It's got to be the curse of the goat or whoever's that. You just can't say you're cursed. You got to have an actual curse. You got to have a name to it for it to be real. What's the name? I wish I could think of a, a Twins player that left when they last won a postseason series. Actually, I got a guy. I had to, I had to look it up. I don't have enough time, but I was thinking maybe the curse of Big Poppy. Because remember, Poppy was a twin, and then he went to Boston, and they haven't won since he left. I don't know what the Indians, they're, they're just, I don't know what their deal is. I mean, ever since the Game 7 of the World Series, they haven't been able to win an elimination game. You see what I'm saying, though, right? you yeah. got to have a reason. you got to have a, a cur- you know, if you're going to have... If you if you're gonna have the boogeyman on you, you got it. What 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 what's the boogeyman's name? What is it? They just have lost. Yeah, they, they haven't been good either. <laughs> I mean, unless someone like brings a goat or does something, or you know, you you know, it was the curse of Bartman now, but then they won the World Series for the Cubs. I mean, you you got to have a reason for having a curse. You just can't say you're cursed. You got to have a reason. Yeah. Well, that's uh, the, the other one I had, and because we got to get out of here in a minute. The, the other one I had, and I won't even go through it. Buying or selling the Seattle Mariners will make the playoffs before the Twins win a playoff game. Say that again. Buying or selling the Seattle Mariners will make the playoffs before the Minnesota Twins win a playoff game. Because <laughs> remember, they've, they've I'm said, selling I, that. <laughs> and I, uh, I mean, the, 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 uh, Twins will probably be in the postseason again next year. Oh, yeah. They, their team's very talented. And they'll have Donaldson back yeah. next year. Uh, I, I, I see them being in the playoffs again next year, and uh, there you go. Uh, I, I, Mariners, when are they going to be in the postseason? It's not for a while. Uh, one nothing Braves in the sixth inning now. The Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. double, it's one nothing Braves. So that's it for today. Who are we playing in the pregame? I figure we could do Bassey, Chris Bassett, and uh, David Forst. Nice. All righty, I'll be back. What time am I on? 11.10, so you got 10 minutes. All righty, we'll see you in 10 minutes. Thank you for listening to A's Cast Live, and hopefully after the game, oh, my God, please, God, we're talking about an A's victory. Coming up next, who do we have? Oh, it's going to be A's All Night with Joey Libertori, and then A's Total Access with you. See you in 10. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.